0: The 2021 college football season kicks off this month if you need to stay up to date on personnel news including injuries suspensions transfers and position battles consider becoming a tier 2 patreon supporter at patreon.com cfb winning edge for 15 dollars per month you'll receive access to our 2021 fbs team profiles which includes daily updated depth charts more than 10,000 individual player ratings plus unit and coach ratings roster strength team performance, projected point spreads in each of our three projection models, stats, returning production, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge to join.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter (coughs) at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can hear him in the background making a bunch of noise. At CFB Winning Edge, Xavier Trish also making noise in the background. At Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And this is our last conference preview show today. We are uh, doing the SEC, the one you all have been waiting for. Uh, So we are going to dive right in headfirst. And we start with, you know, we always do these alphabetically. So we start with Alabama, number one team. And, uh, simply put Alabama gave us one of the most impressive performances of college football history. And it's 13 0 run to a national title. Um, the playoff games were blowouts too. It was just an incredible run run for them. Uh, we have them at 11 and one, uh, favored to win 12 talent edges in all 12 as well. And the DK win total is 11 and a half. So, Nick, we have them dropping one, but I feel like that is just a safe side play.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's partly, you know, numbers based. I mean, we, we try when we're uh, making our projections, you know, we really don't incorporate opinion into it at all and, and just sort of let the numbers speak. And then, you know, we have the, the podcasts where we can decide whether or not we agree with what the numbers say or, or, uh, want to you know give a little uh, on one side or the other, uh, based more on opinion and, and maybe some of the factors that we're not able to quantify with our you know player ratings, coach ratings, team performance, roster strength, all that stuff that we uh, talk about every week. And yeah, it's it's really really hard to go undefeated. And what Alabama did last year uh, was historic. And you know, they lose a lot of pieces from that historic team. Uh, what was it? Six players drafted in the first round, two others in the second round, and and then a six rounder. I mean, that's uh, almost a, an annual occurrence now for Alabama. And, and so, you know, they're, you know, they are used to replacing elite talent year after year with more elite talent that they're able to bring in. Uh, on the recruiting trail. I mean, they're, their recruiting numbers other than one blip in 2018. It basically been, you know, number one, number one, number one, number one, number one. And it makes sense that they still, despite all of those personnel losses, I mean,
2: guys like,
0: uh, Devante Smith, the Heisman trophy winner, Mac Jones, Heisman finalist, Najee Harris, Heisman finalist, um, mm-hmm. You know, multiple starters on the offensive line uh for the second year in a row multiple receivers taken in the first round but if you look at our average you know we go through and, and comb through all the 247 sports composite ratings uh and just as you know taking into account only raw talent position by position the worst that Alabama has as a position group is third in the country. And that's the quarterback position where they're handing the reins over to, you know, uh, Bryce Young was uh, overall number one, recruit by 247 Sports in uh, the 2020 class, a five-star, you know, basically can't-miss prospect, somebody that uh, people have been raving about since his high school years. He came on campus, uh, saw some glowing reviews of his command and accuracy, things like that. Uh, The only knock against him really is size, and, and, you know, we've seen in recent years size doesn't seem to uh matter quite as much as it once did and in at least the eyes of uh you know NFL talent evaluators and and recruiting analysts and and coaches perhaps. I mean we're we're seeing some small guys uh thrive at the quarterback position and it seems like Bryce Young will be the next one. but uh yeah, I mean, you know we we add up uh all of our projections throughout the entire regular season, and it's just sort of a, a numbers game where, uh, you know, we give Alabama uh, what eighty four percent chance to beat Miami based on their projected uh, point spread, in, in the first game, that's actually one of the lower numbers this year. They're seventy three percent projected against Florida, seventy seven percent against Texas A and M, and those are not very big. You know, that that's all pretty close to one hundred. Uh, but when you add them up, those those little bitty pieces of of where they're not necessarily one hundred percent projected to win against whatever team. There's a chance that they drop a game, and and so we add it all up. We have Alabama projected to win eleven point zero one games, seven point one seven in conference play. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's just numbers that that the the projection is Alabama eleven and one, seven and one in the SEC. I can't honestly tell you who is going to beat alabama and and of course we know that there's uh a a great chance that no one beats alabama but with a lot of roster turnover a new offensive coordinator bill o'brien back in the college game for the first time in a while um with you know some talented teams on the roster some tricky uh away spots miami you know alabama's of course a big favorite in that game but miami's got some talent that could make things interesting at least for uh most of that game alabama has to travel to florida to open sec play that's tricky in the swamp even though florida has its own personnel uh you know changeovers as we'll discuss going to texas a m on october 9th that's going to be a tricky opponent the week prior to that, they host Ole Miss, which, you know, early on in the, the off season uh, seemed like Ole Miss was the one that kind of seemed to be everybody's uh, way too early upset pick was that that Ole Miss offense could give Alabama a lot of trouble. Maybe they will. So it's, it's, you know, LSU always is, is difficult. And then of course, you know, they have to go to uh, Jordan Hare and, and play Auburn at the end of the season. So there are, scenarios where you could say all right alabama despite being basically one of if not the best team of all time last year you can look at that and, and and then look at a lot of you know a lot of changes a lot of uh personnel moving around some coaching uh moving around and alabama's done a great job of uh avoiding very many if any letdowns in those situations prior but just sort of the, the law of averages and, and the way that uh, numbers tend to work out, we probably should expect them to lose a game. And they absolutely could go undefeated. They are our number one team. They are uh, on a neutral field, according to our numbers, a favorite over everybody else in college football. But we see upsets every week. So uh, just by the, the you know basic math of, of sort of the way that we project things, uh, it, it seems more likely than not that Alabama loses a game. So I'm more comfortable with the under uh, of that 11 and a half wins than the over, but Alabama is absolutely still the team to beat in uh, the sec, the sec West, the national title race uh, for sure. And and we haven't really even spent much time talking personnel, but pretty much everybody out there, I think knows uh, the personnel. Uh, one of the, Best offensive lineman in the country, Evan Neal, absolute freak. John Mechie the third looks like the next great Alabama receiver. Uh, the defense, I think, is got a great, ch- a great chance to be the best in the country. Uh, not only just personnel wise, but statistically, uh, that back seven is is absolutely incredible. Uh, Will Anderson just gets after folks on the edge. One of my favorite players to watch uh Malachi Moore had a huge year as a sophomore last season uh at Nickelback and and can play multiple positions there. I mean they're just absolutely loaded everywhere. So, uh 12 and 0 is absolutely a possibility, but 11 and 1 seems a little more likely, at least that's what our numbers are saying.
1: Xavier, find the loss here. Uh, Do we have one? Uh, Is it on the schedule? And I mean, you have to say this Alabama team is more vulnerable than they were last season, I guess, because you have to right? Yeah, because they have a new quarterback. I would say, but no, I don't know. Uh, Are they more vulnerable? I mean,
3: I I think they are from an offensive standpoint. I I understand that Alabama typically just retools and replenishes and they keep, you know, that they barely skip a beat. Um, but I think this year they have a, a little bit more of a daunting schedule that I don't think that people are really uh, talking about here. I mean, this is a team that has to go to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and play Florida. This is a team that has to go to Texas A&M and play the Aggies. Um, and the week right before that, they have Ole Miss. And this is a team that really has to keep their head on straight all year. Now, typically, that's always the case when you're Alabama because you have an, a target on your back week in and week out. However, this is a bit of a younger team, and not just from the quarterback position. The, the, the receivers are a little bit younger as well. Uh, The running back group is probably outside of maybe the offensive line, the oldest group that they have. Um, And that's not really saying much when you lose Najee Harris and uh, Brian Robinson is pretty much the guy. Um, So I wouldn't be too surprised by necessarily if they were to look, look a little rough. I mean, to give you an idea, they play a ranked team every, you know, almost every other week for the first, you know, six games of the season. So, or excuse me, seven games of the season. So you ask yourself, is if there is if there's a loss, where would it be? I'm thinking Ole Miss at home. Uh, it's not like Ole Miss hasn't beaten them before, uh, but more importantly, I think that this will be a, is a trap game. You know, Ole Miss is at home. You have just come off of beating beating you know the crap out of Southern Miss. You've got at Texas A&M the week the week afterwards. If you're looking for a game that they would look over and look past. That would be the game uh, where you you know you're looking at Texas A&M, looking at College Station, uh, being your second you know big probably your your last you know you would think maybe your last biggest test of the year, uh, depending on what LSU looks like, but you know and, and you have an Ole Miss team that is a lot of people sleepers to to make some noise this year. This is a team that I think personally. Uh, and Ole Miss fans don't hate me for this, could be like that Mississippi State team a couple of years ago where, where they kind of took a little bit of people by surprise and, and were an undefeated team going down the stretch of that year with Dak Prescott and company. Uh, so I wouldn't be too surprised if Ole Miss was able to give them a little run for their money. This wouldn't be the first. Uh, Ole Miss has beaten them in Brian Denny in the last five years. So it, it's not like they can't do it or have not done it. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss were able to get an upset loss or at the very least give Alabama a scare in that week right before Texas A&M in the, in the event that Alabama's overlooking Ole Miss to get to that A&M game. Um, other than that, I mean, you can't really ever count out Auburn just because that game is always really weird. Um, and it's at Jordan Air this year. Whatever mojo, juju they have going over on over there typically works like one every four years. So you really never know. Um, you, can, you know, the last time they were there, Mac Jones had a hellacious night and they were able to come away with a win.
0: Auburn's won two in a row there.
3: So, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you, you never really know what the rivalry game, especially that rivalry game in particular. Uh, but outside of those two games, I really don't see them losing. Uh, I don't really see them losing those games either, but you told me to find the loss uh, on that schedule. I, I think it will be really tough to, to find one for Alabama this year. I just – and really because of their defense, in my opinion. Yes, the offense is great. We're going to talk about Bryce Young. We're going to talk about these guys all year. But that defense for me, that's, this is probably one of the best pass rushes they've had in a while. Uh, And I think that that is going to be the the, the scariest part about this team is up front. For me, they are terrifying this year. And and that linebacking core last year was probably their weakest link. Um, And I think now is probably their biggest strength. Uh, And that's going to be really scary for a lot of teams that they can get after the quarterback as easy as I think it'll be for them week in and week out. Where I feel like last year they kind of relied on having a really veteran led secondary that stifled you and allowed the, that front seven to get to you eventually but it was a lot of coverage sacks this year a lot of quarterbacks are gonna be running for their lives and then throwing in to also pretty decent coverage on the back end uh with job and company so alabama going uh, betting the over on 11 and a half is just a lot I, I just won't do it you know i'm not an alabama fan i'm not gonna i'm not that bullish on them to say that i would bet the under just because it's college football and you're bound to have a bad game you would think, or at least a close game at some point in the season. Um, so I would bet the under there just because 11 and a half is too rich. But to see Alabama go undefeated again would not be surprising by any means.
1: Now, uh, I'll ask both of you guys this. Nick, I'll start with you here. Would you rather bet Alabama over 11 and a half or Alabama to win the national title?
0: Alabama to win the national title.
1: Hey, it pays off more, right? And, and it just uh, – I. I think even if they drop a game, they're still going to be able to to win the national title. So I think that's the bet, right?
0: Uh, between those two, I mean that that's one that I would I think prefer because it it you know you can still you can still win the national championship with a loss, and we've seen right. Alabama do it multiple times. Um, I think that they could slip up once. I don't expect them to slip up uh more than once and if they get into the playoff you know 11-1 and one is the four seed you know for example or 12-1 and one, I guess at that point uh that they're they're still in a really really good spot to to win it all so I I just I feel like that's the more likely of the two so that for whatever reason
3: that that's where I would side I think
1: Xavier would you rather bet the Over or the national title bet?
3: Yeah. Question. Does the over only count for the regular season?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I would would
3: absolutely go with the national championship for everything Nick said. An 11-1 Alabama team has won a national title many times before. And typically, if they do get one loss, they're pretty much perfect after that situation. Uh, You know, the only time that ever one loss has really been, you know, detrimental to them was what? You know, Chris Davis is not uh, run home or sorry, Uh, you you know, the kick six, I think was the only other one. And then the one loss, I believe, was to LSU. That was the other one that was detrimental because that that was in their same division. So it has to be a real, you know, crazy situation for them not even to be able to to show out for the SEC West in that situation. So I, I think they I think that would be the best bet or your safest bet.
1: All right, let's go over to Arkansas. Arkansas ranked 64th on our rankings, lost four in a row to finish the season, but the three and seven Razorbacks were much improved and far more competitive in Sam Pittman's first season. DK total is five and a half. We have them at five and seven, favored to win four. Town edges in four. So, what do we think about the Razorbacks for 2021, Nick?
0: So, they're, you know, we, we've talked in other shows. If this is the first time that you're listening to us, um, you know, we, we have three different models that we look at. Our, our official projections kind of take in all of the different uh, ratings and, and things that we put together, roster strength, team performance, all that good stuff. Then we have talent edges, uh, where we only look at things related to recruiting and, and uh, the roster strength numbers and, and things like that. Then we have a, a stats only model where we call it the the prism uh, model for projected scoring margin, it's set up a little bit more like SP Plus that uh, Bill Connolly is famous for. Where uh, it works more on you know scoring offense, scoring defense, take the difference that that sort of thing. And you know Arkansas, as our numbers you know we're we're going through all three numbers are well under that five and a half win total. Uh, we have them only favored in four officially, as you mentioned, and four talent edges. That stats only model has Arkansas favored in just one regular season game. Uh, And a big reason for that is another really important number is Arkansas, according to our strength of schedule projections, has the toughest schedule in the country. So I was really, really impressed with Arkansas last year. I, I thought that uh, they looked like a much, much improved team, uh, just just watching, you know, watching the games. They played harder, played uh, you know more uh, fundamentally sound, all that good stuff. Uh, they were in a lot of games, probably should have won two games that, that they ended up losing on sort of controversial uh, endings. But also if you look at the post game, uh, win expectancy. We use CFB-graphs.com's post, uh, post-game win expectancy numbers. They were 67% uh, expected to win the game against Auburn, which of course is the most controversial ending. They ended up losing that one. They were 72% against LSU and 72% against Missouri, and they ended up losing both of those by a combined five points. So Arkansas very easily could have been. know, a 500 or or better team last year. Uh, However, they are playing the toughest schedule in the country. Uh, They are going to be at a a talent disadvantage far more often than not. Uh, Despite the improvement they made last year, they still only rank 45th nationally in roster strength and 73rd on the offensive side of the ball. Part of that is, you know, they lost their starting quarterback, Felipe Franks. Um, They have young talent. K.J. Jefferson is taken over as the starter. I know a lot of people are really excited about him uh, just from a, a regular college football standpoint. I know there's folks in the uh, college fantasy football space and, uh, you know, Devi and, and Campus DeCant and things like that, different types of fantasy football that are really excited about K.J. Jefferson as well. Uh, they bring in multiple uh, true freshmen who have a chance to play a big role, including Raheem Sanders, who right now looks like the backup to Treland Smith at running back. Smith's been dealing with uh, turf toe, I believe, and and so Sanders is probably going to have a you know chance to make a, a pretty immediate impact. Keetron Jackson at uh, the wide receiver sounds like he's pushing pushing for a starting role, uh, and they still you know Arkansas has multiple starters at receiver, including Traylon Burks, who could be an All American. Uh, but then Trey Knox and Devon Warren as well, who's been banged up, but hopefully will be uh, back and fully healthy. But so, you know, from the skill position standpoint, one, Chad Morris had some success at times bringing in uh, some talented players. Two, the new, you know, Sam Pittman regime is continuing that momentum. However, you know, a lot of those guys are relatively young. And the biggest factor is the offensive line and the defensive line, really both struggled a lot last year. Arkansas ranked 91st in our O-line performance ratings last season. The defensive line ranked 121st in our performance ratings last season. So I think Sam Pittman obviously is is maybe the best offensive line coach in the country. So they're going to get better up front uh, on the offensive side. They're probably going to get better on both sides. Uh, But, you know, they're certainly experienced. They have four returning starters on the offensive line. They've added some guys to the transfer portal on both sides uh, of the line of scrimmage. They had some playmakers step up defensively last year, Bumper Poole and Grant Morgan, incredibly productive linebackers. Jalen Catalan is one of my favorite players, uh, safety, all SEC type guy, uh, just put up huge, huge uh, production, all three of those players last season. So there are things to like. Young talent, you know, what we would expect to be an improving Uh, proving units on both sides of the line of scrimmage, really a lot of talent and and experience and production in the back seven defensively. But, you know, I I do feel like this is a team despite taking some big steps forward last season, despite their record looking a little worse than maybe it should have. This strikes me as a team that, uh, you know, we've talked about the, the team that's, popping in my mind uh, more than any right now is Boston College we talked about Boston College had a really great first year under Jeff Hathley. you could argue that they might have overachieved just a little bit uh, based on some of the talent numbers and and things like that Arkansas is kind of in that mold Uh, the the schedule and losing a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have maybe you know switches that up a little bit but when we talked about Boston College and a few other teams fit this mold as well, it's really, really difficult to follow up a good year one for a new head coach with just continued improvement. It's hard to to um, you know it's, it's now you're not surprising anybody, and and uh, people are going to be ready for Arkansas. They're going to be ready for. Uh, the, uh, the Bryles offense. They're going to know what um, you know, Barry Odom's doing defensively. And, and you know, it, it's, it's just, you know, some, some schools are able to take a good year one, build on it in year two, and just keep it going on and on. But more often than not, at least anecdotally to me, it seems like, hey, you have a pretty good year one. Sometimes you take a, a small step back to then bounce forward again. Arkansas strikes me kind of as, as that type of team this year. I think there will be some things that they will improve upon, both sides of the line of scrimmage, first and, and foremost in that. Uh, I want to see the young skill position players develop on the offensive side of the ball, but I think this year the schedule is just too tough. Uh, all the SEC games that they've got, including Georgia in the you know cross-division, uh, very very difficult draw. It's going to be really really hard to get to bowl eligibility, even with some winnable games in the non-conference. Even with you know a, a more competitive team against sort of that middle to lower tier of, of SEC opponent like Missouri, like Mississippi State, you know even maybe Ole Miss and Auburn, Arkansas should be in those games. But I just don't know that they're going to be able to to really build upon last year enough to get over that five and a half, get to bowl eligibility. The schedule I think is just, is just too tough right now. The inexperience is a question and, and they've got to improve some units in some significant ways to really be able to make that jump. So I, you know, I, I think that so far, at least in the sec, maybe in, in a lot of these, because a lot of our projected win totals are very, very similar to what uh, the draft Kings posted win total is. But right now, this seems like a pretty solid bet to me. Arkansas under five and a half. Our numbers really, really think uh, Arkansas is, is you know, in line for a losing record during the regular season.
1: Yeah, I mean, Xavier, Nick said it, hardest schedule in the country right here for Arkansas. So um, it's difficult for them to pull out a winning season and even make a bowl. But um, this is a good roster.
3: Yeah, I just think that this was a team that overachieved last year. You know, I I think last year when you look at it, you know, Felipe Franks came in and really, I think, spurred a growth in that team that possibly was a year too early. And I think that you know you're going to see some so a little bit of a regression this year. You know, you have a guy in in Felipe Franks who very well could have probably still been at Florida if it wasn't for him getting hurt and not seeing the you know the ascension of Kyle Trask. And I think that, you know, you're going to see a little bit of regression due to K.J. Jefferson coming in with the limited amount of snaps that he's had in his career. Only eight games played. Only two games started. Uh, you know, the last time he took snaps regularly was, you know, he took 128 snaps in, in 2020, 90 snaps in 2019. That's not a ton. You know, that's that. So he's going to have to get acclimated very quickly to an SEC game. And they don't even get a real good non-conference schedule. You know, Rice is an easier game, and that's a good first game. But then they get Texas at home, and then Georgia Southern's a tricky one as well. Uh, that you can't necessarily take that game off. You know, you have to be able to, you, you know, Georgia Southern has beat some SEC teams in the past. So I, you can't let, you know, uh, a G5 team come into Fayetteville and win that game. Then you get that, and you go right into Two back-to-back ranked games. You get a neutral site, quote unquote, against Texas A&M, and you have to go at at Georgia. That's that's awful. Then you have to go to Ole Miss and to all and uh, go and have Auburn come to you in the next, you know, the next two weeks to follow. So I, this is a team I think that genuinely by their bye week might only have two victories. You know, maybe three. You know, you give them Rice, Georgia Southern, and uh, UAPB uh, right before their off game or right before their off week, excuse me. Uh, but you're, they're going to be, you know. Battle-tested is, is the word that you use with teams that typically win in these situations. Uh, brutalized might be the word that I use in this situation for Arkansas in, the, in that first half of the season. It's going to be really rough. It doesn't get much better when you have to go to Tiger Stadium and to Bryant-Denny uh, to finish your year off. Four, get, four wins, maybe four to five wins is what I see this team doing. They would have to pull out. Uh, the only game I will say that they might be able to get some comeuppance and might get them to a bowl game, might be Auburn. They were supposed to be Auburn last year on the road. I know a lot of these guys on this team feel confident playing Auburn. They aren't scared of Auburn either. Um, and so, that if, if you're pointing to a game in which you know gets them to the bowl that they uh, or gets them to a bowl contention, excuse me, it, it would be the Auburn game that I think could throw them a, into a situation where they only have to beat Mississippi State and Missouri down the stretch. Which at that point, if you're a four and you know you're a four and six ball club, which was what that, that record would be going into the Mississippi State game or sorry, excuse me, 4-4 ball club going into the Mississippi State game, you've had a really good first half of the year. You've lost the games that you were supposed to lose, quote-unquote, and you've won the games that you were supposed to win. And I think if Arkansas can do that, which is really tough when you look at the fact that, once again, we're talking about kids. So to an extent, there has to be a confidence level here that is carried into those games against Auburn and UAPB after getting, you know, AM Georgia and Ole Miss back to back to back. You know, and hopefully what they you know, what Sam Pittman can hopefully do with this team this year if they are to make a bowl game is he's gonna have to keep their heads on straight and not allow them to get too uh, you know, too low after some of those games because some of those games might really go south, you know. AM and Georgia, especially Georgia and Ole Miss. Those games could really go south with the offenses that both of those teams could put on uh, on display, and, and that he could keep their head on straight and not allow, not allow them to get too low going into the Auburn and UAPB weeks. This is a team that could possibly possibly make a bowl game. I'm not, you know, I'm not a rich man, so I'm not going to make that bet. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to bet the under here, uh, but I would not be surprised if if we're looking at an Arkansas team that come by week, they're four and four with an opportunity to at least get there, um, which. Nick, I don't know if you have this on hand. With, uh, how, how long ago has the business of Arkansas made a bowl game?
1: I don't think it's been an incredibly long time, but it's been a bit, right? So 2016, Belk Bowl. Uh, 2016, the Belk Bowl. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a bit. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, I was also going to say Texas losing to Arkansas would be the least surprising thing that I may have <laughs> ever seen. And like I've said, I've seen this team lose to Kansas and win a national title. So uh Arkansas losing to Arkansas uh lying in between would not be the most shocking thing. But, That's at Arkansas too, yeah. right? Yes it is. I think okay. it is. Yeah, so uh interesting interesting games that we have here, but uh, uh let's go over to the next team here and up on the list is Auburn and we have them ranked 23rd. Uh the Gus Malzahn era ended at Auburn after a 6 and 5 season. Uh, the Tigers were. They lost three of their last four, including a 35 to 19 loss to Northwestern in the Citrus Bowl. DK's total is seven, which is also ours, and we also have them favored to win. And talent edges both seven. So, Nick, what do we think about the Tigers for 2021 here?
0: Yeah. So the the projected win total. Or, or the posted win total at draftkings is 7 auburn is is one of a few teams in the sec where our projected win total is almost exactly uh, what's posted at at the you know the the sports book and so in some ways that's a good sign that makes me think all right we're we're using uh, some similar numbers and and you know coming drawing some similar conclusions to what the uh, expert odd make odds makers are uh coming up with but on the other hand i mean like like arkansas uh we want to find some value you, we want to see uh you know if if we can find an edge uh, against those odd make odds makers against the books so um auburn you know it's a, a little bit of a frustrating one because we're right there on the seven our official uh, projections have them favored in exactly seven games. They have exactly seven talent edges. And then the Prism model, the stats only model, uh, has them favored in six. But there are three, uh, no, four games in which they are underdogs of fewer than three points. So a lot of those could go uh, you know, either way. So we're, we're expecting Auburn to be a very, very competitive seven and five team. And so that's not you know, super exciting when you're when you're looking for uh, over or under the number, uh, but I think right now if I had to choose a side, I'm probably leaning under, and, you know, Auburn is, is changing everything, and I know that uh, Gus Malzahn sort of ran out of time, didn't win enough games. Uh, Brian Harson won quite a lot of games at, at Boise State, uh, but he... You know, other than a few years at Texas really hasn't um, you know spent very much time at a uh, big time power five program there's always a little bit of a, a learning curve uh, it seems when a guy is, is jumping up to become a head coach at, at one of these uh, blue blood or, or similar type programs um, and he's already had a you know a couple of bumps here and there uh, just off the field so I mean right now he's, he's not able to practice, uh, with his team because of a, a you know COVID positive test and not necessarily uh, know all the the specifics behind that but you know a week or, or ten days before you're supposed to kick off your uh, first game at a at a new program that's that's not just a great place to be so um, there are some concerns a little bit at the quarterback position Bo Nix has been. A two-year starter already, but has not quite uh, been, you know, the the big-time playmaker that many expected when he won that job as a true freshman. Maybe he will improve with a you know different play caller and an offensive system. Uh, Mike Bobo calling the plays there after you know had a lot of success in the past at, at uh, Georgia and, and early success at, at uh, Colorado State, but. Um, not not been great the last couple of years, and then South Carolina last season wasn't uh, you know a, a super explosive offense. So it'll be interesting to see if that actually is an improvement. Tank Bigsby at, at the running back position is one of the best in the country for sure, uh, but the receiver core is is a little bit of a concern as well, and maybe they weren't quite used to their. Maximum potential under Gus Malzahn, but you know, two guys got drafted out of last year's unit, Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams. So who's going to step up? Is it going to be uh Shedrick Jackson is a returning starter. I know Elijah Canyon has got some people really excited, had a huge bowl game. Um, you know, Javarius Johnson had a, a solid uh, spring. It sounds like the offensive line should be a strength. All five starters return. It was a unit that ranked 30th in our performance ratings last year. Uh, but they have to, you know, rebuild or, or refill, replace, I should say, a lot of uh, starters on the defensive line. I count three uh, first year transfers among the two deep right now and only one returning starter. Uh, the secondary lost a couple of key pieces, including uh, you know, Jarian Sherwood was a fifth round draft pick. They lost KJ Britt, who was drafted in the fifth round, a linebacker. So there's, you know, some, some concerns here or there, a lot of moving parts, a lot of guys transferred out, including three, uh, defensive starters who've landed already at, at uh, others or two have landed at other schools. Big Cat Bryant followed Gus Malzahn to UCF. And then, uh, Daquan Newkirk is, is headed to Florida. Tyrone Truesdale, uh, just entered the transfer portal, right? when fall camp. Ended, But, you know, that's that's a lot of uh, a lot of new faces and new places, whether it's head coach coordinators on on both sides, uh, personnel in the two deep, especially on defense. You know, that that is that is a lot of movement for me, for a team in Auburn that is going up against some of the most talented teams in the country course, Alabama. We've mentioned Texas A&M is up there. Georgia, LSU. I mean, they are at a talent disadvantage in all of those matchups, uh, and they're pretty close. You know, I mean, they they are at a talent disadvantage in the non-conference against Penn State, and you know, we saw how they uh, could have, maybe should have, lost to Arkansas last year. Ole Miss, we already talked about, could potentially beat Alabama, so they certainly uh, could, you know, give Auburn a, a run. So. With with so much movement personnel wise and and coaching wise, I'm personally a, a little more bearish on Auburn than our numbers even would suggest. So even though we agree with the uh, odds makers with DraftKings that we always refer to their their win total right now, I think
2: that uh,
0: I expect a little bit of a year one. Uh, you know, uh, fall back a little bit, become uh, you know maybe maybe Auburn is able to get to a bowl game. Probably should get to a bowl game. They're going to be pretty heavy favorites in three of the four non-conference games, and and they certainly do have uh, winnable matchups, including a crossover uh, in SEC play against South Carolina. That was a, a good draw to sort of balance out the Georgia uh, annual rivalry, but. I, I don't give Auburn the benefit of the doubt right now, and so you know I expect that in toss-up games like the Penn State game, which is in-state college uh, against LSU on the road, uh, against Texas A&M on the road, those are those are not games that I'm really circling as potential Auburn upsets. It's just the schedule doesn't really set up well. The new coaching staff, I, I you know have some questions and it's it's just too much movement right now for me to be uh, very excited about year 1 of, of the Brian Harson era. He has an absolute great, you know, track record. He's going to be able to recruit and and coach in the SEC, I'm sure. Uh, but right now I just Auburn doesn't really quite match up with uh, those teams and sort of the the, you know, top tier of the SEC. Like we were used to them being a little closer to that, it seemed in, in the Gus Malzahn era. So I, I think this year might be a little bit of a, a slower start. Get the six wins, get to a bowl game, uh, and then look ahead to to really uh, build some momentum in year two. But I I think under seven, uh, even though our numbers are are not, you know, pointing entirely in that direction, is is definitely the side I would prefer to be on.
1: Xavier, I mean, you know, you look at the schedule. First of all, you see the win total for Auburn and you go, oh, seven really for Auburn. And then you look at the schedule and you see it, you know, Penn State's a tough game. LSU, Georgia, um, Ole Miss can even be tough. AM is definitely uh, probably going to get away from them. Uh, and then they finish it off with Bama. So this is a another rough schedule. Of course, playing an SEC schedule is just rough. Regardless, but I think Nick said it best when he said, um, "You know, they ha- they don't have the benefit of the doubt right now."
3: Absolutely not. And, and I think this is a it's going to be a weird year for Auburn fans. I, I know that they wanted Gus out, and I understand that he understood his uh, overstayed his welcome. Excuse me. This has very this has very Mark Richtish, you know, less miles type energy around the the firing. This is a guy who could never get over the hump consistently, and, and you know, although they have beat LSU, i mean, sorry. Alabama twice at home in the last two in the last two tries felt like he just couldn't get it done against the people the, the teams in which he had to. Um, and, and I'm not so sure that Brian Harson is going to be able to in year one either. Obviously, you know we'll see what kind of leash he, he is on throughout his uh, Auburn tenure. I just don't under I just don't think that this is going to be a really good year for them. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think this is a team that could very well be you know looking at three losses before their bye week. You know, possibly four. We talked about, uh, you know, possibly Arkansas getting a win at home against them. And if they're at four losses by their bye week, I I just don't see this where this year they're able to get to that seven win margin. You know, I I think that yes, you win your non conference games, you beat Akron, you beat Alabama State. I think they'll, you know, they're they're better than Georgia State, so they should win that ball game. But outside of that, you know, Mississippi State, South Carolina, those are five wins that I see guaranteed. After that, I see a bunch of toss-up games where I'm not so sure that they'll walk away with the wins in any of them. You know, we talked about Arkansas. I, I'll lean towards them in that game. But I expect Ole Miss to be better than them this year, especially offensively. I expect, I expect LSU to be a better team overall this season um, than they were last year, barring any injuries. Obviously, Georgia, A&M, Alabama. I expect, you know, those, those are five games right there that I expect those teams to come in. And, and, and excuse me, in Penn State, that's six. I think this is a, a team that can very well end up six and six, and at worst five and seven. Uh, you know, I know no Auburn fan wants to hear that after getting rid of a guy who was, you know, an eight and four, seven and five kind of guy year in and year out. The occasional nine and three, ten and two team will come as well, um, but I, I don't see why this team wouldn't end up six and six. To be perfectly honest with you, and I think you will go under here just as a confidence pick, just because I don't think Auburn. Ha- is bringing all that much to the table to be perfectly honest with you i think outside of tank bigsby you're really pulling that straws straws excuse me who on offense is going to be the guy you know and tank bigsby is this is, isn't herschel walker he can't carry this team on his back uh you know like, like back in the day off obviously all um football has changed since then as well but i expect bo Nix to be bo Nix of the what well, he's been the last couple of years a guy who's You know, has games where he looks pretty good, but for the most part, it's just an above average quarterback, you know, and and you say that while he had the weapons that he did, those weapons are gone now and and I don't really see where they, they find, you know, production. Whatsoever. So I think it's going to be a really rough year for Auburn offensively. You're going to have to lean on a defense that, you know, wasn't great last year, was good. They lost KJ Britt midway through the year, which really hurt. Uh, they're going to lean on a secondary with guys like Smoke Monday, one of the best names of college football, you know, Roger McCreary to really put it, you know, to really make sure that this team can stay in games. Um, You know, they, they're, they're in a, in a real turnover phase. The, the years of Derek Brown are over and they've really got to, they haven't replenished like they should have. Uh, And and they're going to, they're going to ruin it this year. I think there's going to be a really rough year for Auburn and Auburn fans as a whole.
1: All right, let's go over to uh, Florida and uh, the Gators were pretty good last year. Uh, Started eight and one, won the SEC East and played Bama tough in the SEC championship game, but they did lose three of the last four to finish eight and four before that. I mean, Trask was getting uh, Heisman hype and all that stuff. Um, their uh, DK total is nine. We have them at 10 and two. Uh, we have them with a uh, favorite to win in 10 talent edges in nine and rank six overall. So Florida is a very good team here, Nick, but another sec team with a really tough schedule.
0: The schedule is really tough, but it's, it's I think, somewhat fitting that Florida follows Auburn, that Auburn discussion, how, you know, I said Auburn didn't really get the benefit of the doubt. I think by now I do give Florida the benefit of the doubt. Dan Mullen is consistently one of the best play callers in college football. Uh, so I don't think that the transition from Kyle Trask to Emory Jones is going to be uh, a step back, really. I, there were times uh, over the last couple of years where it seemed to me that Emory Jones actually was a better fit to uh, the you know schematic uh, design that, that we usually see from a, a Dan Mullen offense or kind of his preferred uh, style of offense where run the football a little bit more, use the quarterback run game more. And they were very, very much a pass first, pass second team uh, in 2020, which, you know, they, they obviously did well with, they were fourth in our offensive passing team performance ratings last year and a top 10 offense, as far as our team performance numbers go. So it's, it, it worked out well for them. And even though they ranked 75th in rushing uh, I would expect that we're going to see, you know, a, a uh, much more balanced as far as those numbers go. Instead of four and seventy-five, maybe it's you know twenty-five and thirty, or or thirty and twenty-five, something like that. Where uh, they're going to be able to move the football on the ground in part because of Emory Jones's athleticism. And, and you know we got to see him a little bit in flashes, and it was maybe not uh, he wasn't really able to thrive because when he came in. It's kind of like, okay, now, you know, this guy can run, probably going to be a QB run, that sort of thing. Uh, But he can throw too. has a very strong arm. And I I think, you know, he's one of the players that I'm excited to watch this year, because I I do think uh, at least the the offenses that that we got used to watching when Mullen was at Mississippi State, uh, he seems to be almost a perfect fit. So I'm excited about that. The running game, they've got running backs all over the place. I mean, they've got five-star guys who've transferred in who are fourth and fifth on our running back depth charts. Uh, They've got two seniors coming back and and another talented uh, guy in the mix as well. So you would think they've got playmakers to be able to run the football really well. Is that offensive line going to, you know, help clear lanes and, and uh, get that, uh, running game going. They do have three guys coming back. Have to replace both guards, but plenty of talent on hand. The unit ranked 25th in our offensive line, uh, offensive line performance ratings last year. It's a top 15 offensive line as far as just those raw talent 247 ratings. Uh, it's a top 20 unit in our adjusted for experience and and production offensive line rating. So uh, I I think that they are going to be just fine on the offensive side of the ball, even though, you know, Kyle Pitts was a uh, generational talent that that might be an overused term, but I think he really was at tight end uh, last year. And, and, you know, Kadarius Tony went in the first round was a guy who kind of put it all together last year. Those are three key pieces that are very, very difficult for any team to replace but I do think that Dan Mullen kind of has the benefit of the doubt. And I think that there's talent lined up to to be able to do that. I mean, you you probably won't replace Kyle Pitts, but Camor Gamble and uh, uh, Keon Zipper are, you know, really talented tight ends. Jacob Copeland is ready to step up and become a go-to receiver. Justin Shorter was a five-star recruit at Penn State. And then, you know, they've, they've recruited pretty well. I'm sure they uh, have plenty of guys they can – using a similar way to Kadarius Toney. Maybe it's Demarcus Bowman. I've I've seen some uh, highlights from him in fall camp where he's just, you know, pure speed running away from guys. Lorenzo Lingard, a a five-star transfer from Miami. Maybe maybe Mullen gets those guys involved a little bit in the slot and, and, you know, finds unique ways, uh, creative ways to get them the football. So I think Florida's going to be just fine on the offensive side of the ball. I have more questions defensively. Uh, they ranked 75th in defensive team performance, 116th against the pass, and 91st against the run last season. That must improve uh, for Florida to to get to 10 wins, like our numbers think that they can. They have to just play much much better on the defensive side of the ball. And they've got some, you know, they've got some personnel uh, issues. They only return three of their starting front seven. Brenton Cox could be an elite pass rusher, but I know he was banged up a little bit in the spring and early fall. I I think he's going to be fine and and ready to go for week one, but something to watch. They brought in three transfers. We already mentioned Newkirk from uh, Auburn. They also brought in Antonio, formerly Shelton, now Valentino from uh, Penn State. One of those two guys probably going to start next to Zachary Carter. Um, they have plenty of talented guys ready to take on that uh, sort of edge rusher role um, uh, opposite Cox. But is it going to be Jeremiah Moon, Andrew Chatford, uh, David Reese, Chris Bogle? You know, who, who's going to step up and, and make plays uh, for them off the edge? Kair Irwin, or excuse me, Kyrie Elam uh, is an all SEC corner, could be an all American, could be a, a high. Draft pick, uh, he's got one side locked down, but the other side, a little bit of a concern. It could be a true freshman starting, Jason Marshall, could be uh, one of true transfers, Jadarius Perkins or Elijah Blade. So that's uh, you know a little bit of a, a, an area to watch. Uh, but just like you know teams that that you would expect that recruited a level that Florida does. I know there are plenty of Florida fans who uh, think that Dan Mullen hasn't quite. Gotten it done well enough on the recruiting trail, but they're still consistently putting up top ten, top twelve type classes. So they're able to to you know stack up against just about anybody in the country from a pure talent standpoint. Uh, but we kind of need to to see some progress on the defensive side of the ball. Um, there are certainly. You know some some question marks based on how they played last year, and some turnover in, in personnel because they did have defensive players drafted as well: Marco Wilson, Sean Davis, uh, to Daryl Slayton. All those guys were were draft picks last season from that defense that that struggled as much as it did. But uh, Florida is, uh, I think, absolutely the biggest threat to Georgia in the East. Uh, I think that it is not. Completely unheard of that that Florida could knock off Alabama on September eighteenth. I'm I'm not necessarily ready to jump out and predict it, but uh, it's you know it's very possible they do host that game. Uh, they do, of course, get the bye week before Georgia, so they should have plenty of time to uh, you know get back and, and um, prepare after that LSU game trip to Baton Rouge two weeks earlier. So I think the schedule sets up relatively well for Florida. They get Vanderbilt in that week before LSU. That's not really, you know, wouldn't expect that to be a trap game spot. Uh, After Georgia, they play South Carolina, Samford, and Missouri. So, you know, you wouldn't expect them to have even, if they lose that game to Georgia, that one loss turns into two. They should be Pretty heavy favorites in in the, their last four regular season games. So I like the way the schedule sits up. Uh, I do think that they are rightfully underdogs against Alabama and Georgia right now. Uh, it would not shock me if they won one of those games. It also would not shock me if they lost a game. Maybe they weren't supposed to to lose. Uh, so I think ten and two is you know I, I would rather be on ten and two than nine and three. Even though it looks like two. Very likely losses, uh, and still some other tough games on the schedule. I just do think that Dan Mullen and, and Florida uh, have the benefit of the doubt for me right now. So I, I'm glad that we're on the uh, over nine, and I'm glad it's not nine and a half because if it, if it were nine <laughs> and a half, I'd feel I'd feel worse about it. But I think eight and four, you know, even though they went eight and four last year, I, I just see eight and four as as uh, maybe worse worst case scenario for Florida this year. I I think, I think nine wins is uh, highly likely and 10 wins is very, very uh, possible.
1: Xavier, what what do you think here? I mean, Florida, obviously one of the best squads in the country, uh, but the sec is tough and, you know, Georgia is favored against them. Alabama is favored against them. Other than that, the only team that they're not a double digit favorite against is LSU. So, this team is really good. Uh, can they push over that hump?
3: Well, I will say their schedule was very, very favorable for them. You know, this is a team that on schedule, on pay, by paper, should only lose three games max. Like Georgia, Alabama, maybe LSU. Like, that's it. When you look at their schedule, I just don't see another team nearly as talented. And it would take a really, really poor performance for me to the offense or the defense to really let that go. You know, now that, that being said, we've seen Florida put together some pretty abysmal offensive performances that have let, allowed some teams to stick around like Kentucky a couple of years ago, uh, South Carolina, we've seen them do so. And I will say for the teams that they're supposed to beat, they do have to go on the road. So there is a little bit there where you have to go to Kentucky, you have to go to Missouri, you have to go to William Bryce stadium and hear that terrible game cock the entire time. Uh, so, I mean, there's a there there are openings here, but I'm not going to be that kind of person that says, "Well, you know, South Carolina is going to be a tough game." I'm, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I, I think that this is a team, and everything that I've been talking about, or everything I've seen from the people, you know, on Florida Twitter, and, and talked to some of my more, you know, my people who are closer to the program, they're really excited about the defense. They're really hesitant about what the offense is going to look like this year. Uh, nobody really knows what Dan Mullen has prepared for Emory Jones with the lack of receiving, you know, depth that they have. And receiving, you know, they're really kind of scared in that situation uh, because obviously you lose Kyle Pitts, you lose Kadarius Toney. They've lost some really good receivers just over the last two years in general that they've had that they've struggled to replace. And this year you're going to be relying on Jacob Copeland and Justin Shorter to really get it done. Yeah, they have some younger guys in there who might, you know, flash here and there. Uh, but people are, you know, they're they're a little bit more hesitant about talking about how good the offense is as opposed to last season, where I think that everybody was coming in very excited about the offense and the defense just had to be, you know, just had to be good enough for them to win ball games. And if they had have, who knows, they might have been in the College World playoff if it wasn't for a shoe. So I, I I genuinely think going into this year coming up. Their defense is going to be what they lean on. Britton Cox, uh, Zachary Carter, obviously Ventro Miller. With I feel like Ventro Miller has been there since like twenty fifteen, and 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 it says he's got two years of eligibility here left. How I just don't know. He, it looks like he's it feels like he's been making plays for forever for Florida, um, and so I think that's hilarious. Um, Kyrie Elam is a, is an absolute stud, and I think this is a guy. This is one of those guys that they lean on when they say DBU. He's one of the guys that they look at as a a possible, you know, first round draft pick uh, like a C.J. Henderson type, uh, you know, and to go back to the Hargraves all the way back there. So uh, this is another one of those gyms that they feel like they have at the cornerback position. So I think they're really going to lean on their defense. And that'll bode well because I think that the teams that they're playing, none of which outside of, like I said, Georgia and Alabama, I think have the offenses to really challenge them. You know, and make it a shootout to where their offense would have to be concerned in that ball game. You know, maybe LSU shows us something that we haven't seen. Maybe I, I'm not. I, but I feel like I feel like LSU's defense is going to be better than their offense this year. Uh, but outside of that, like I said, I, I don't see any offense outside of Alabama and Georgia that could really test them down the field and turn it into a 35 point game, a 40 point game that could that would really bold. You know, which would be the complete opposite of what Florida really wants. Florida's going to want to hold teams to 20 points this year, you know, 14, 17, and allow their offense, which is probably going to be very run heavy and very motion heavy, to just work methodically down the field with Emery Jones and with that, you know, with that running attack as they wait until they, you know, until some of these receivers rise to, you know, to the top later down in the season. That's the only problem. They've got Alabama week three. I'm not – I don't think they'll be prepared for that game whatsoever um, from uh, from what they're going to see from Alabama on the offensive and defensive side of the football. That's where I think, you know, that obviously they pick up their first loss. Georgia, they have a little bit more time. I think they'll be a little bit more prepared for that game. And like Nick said, they do get the bye week right after the LSU game so they can lick their wounds a little bit and get a little bit extra time to prepare. Uh, I think – Nine wins is the absolute minimum for this team this year. Uh, although I'm a Georgia fan, I'm not stupid. I, I think this is a team that absolutely you know, is going to win nine games. Ten games is what I think they will act, act, uh, actually win. I don't think that they'll lose to LSU in Tiger Stadium. So to be perfectly honest with you, I, 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 I don't mind betting the over on, on Florida this year whatsoever. I, I think that ten wins isn't a bad bet to make when you're really hinging on whether or not they lose to LSU or they are lose to a Kentucky team, or they lose to Florida State to end the year. That's not a bad bet. I would only bet the under just simply because, you know, you really never know with college football.
1: Yeah, and uh, let's go over to Georgia. And as you, uh, as you know, uh, Georgia is Xavier's favorite team, and Nick is also a little fond of Georgia, but really doesn't have a dog in the fight anymore, outside of Hawaii, of course. But uh, Georgia, we have ranked four. And last year's sub-bar uh, quarterback play limited them early. Uh, they lost at Bama and Florida, both by 16-plus points, but they finished 8-2, and two, strong finish there. Their DK total is 7.5. We have them at 11-1, and favored to win 11, uh, talent edges in 12. So, Nick, uh, I mean, they look good this year, uh, but uh, there are some speed bumps here because it's still an SEC schedule.
0: Yeah, and I, I do have uh, full disclosure. I do have a University of Georgia diploma hanging on the wall, uh, but my alliance uh, or you know, my my uh, uh, allegiance, I should say, is now only tied to what our numbers say, and especially if our numbers are, are you know uh, positive or negative on a team enough that uh, I, I put you know I, I invest in that team, and and this year. I will absolutely be a Georgia team. We are
1: Georgia. You're fans. a UMass fan play. by that standard. I'm dude.
0: a UMass fan this year. I'm, I'm an Oklahoma fan and I am also a Georgia fan because, uh, those right now are the three, uh, biggest investments that I've personally made are, are in UMass to go over a one and a half wins. Uh, and then Oklahoma and Georgia to win the national championship. Usually, uh, very, very early, as soon as possible, after um, those national championship futures are released. I try to get some early value, and it looked to me uh, when I was kind of guessing and, and projecting what our actual you know preseason projections would look like for teams like Oklahoma and, and Georgia, thought that they uh, each had a chance to potentially be number one in our preseason ratings. Georgia spent a little time at number two. They're down now to number four, and, and part of that is some injury issues, some personnel issues. They've also had uh, some transfers that were a little bit unexpected. But I, I absolutely do think that this team is talented enough to uh, be the national champion at, at the end of the year. Uh, I, I, I would personally love that because, you know, <laughs> my, my personal ties, but then also uh, my purse on old ties, I guess. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no booze. You guys didn't want to boo me. I mean, you? I was muted. But I, <laughs> mean, I, <didn't laughs> you I, I couldn't sure. get there. Dad right, 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 yeah. joke. Come on. Uh, yeah. I have to I have to make sure you guys are listening. sometimes. Uh, but uh, Georgia rakes number one in roster strength. Number, number one above Alabama. Number one, overall number one on the offensive side of the ball. Number two, only behind Alabama defensively. So this is arguably the most talented roster in the country. Uh, they seem to have figured out the quarterback position towards the end of last year. JT Daniels, uh, when he took over that starting role the last four games, the offense looked completely different. They were able to uh, push the ball down the field. And, of course, you know, receiver is actually one of those positions that's been uh, really impacted by – injuries. Uh, I know Kiris Jackson was banged up a little bit early in the summer uh, early in fall camp. Marcus Roseby Jack St uh, had the, the horrific looking injury uh, in the Florida game last year. Dominic Blaylock still not cleared after uh, his second ACL. Uh, The tight end, Darnell Washington, has a foot injury. Multiple foot injuries uh, are affecting Georgia and and, uh, some other teams, of course, as as well this year. And then George Pickens, uh, you know, tore his ACL in the spring, unfortunately. So I do have concerns that 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 wide receiver unit is uh, not maybe have the chance to be as good as it possibly could have been. But still, I've referred to those raw, 247 talent rating uh, averages before Georgia still ranks third among wide receivers and tight ends. And that doesn't include uh, Eric Gilbert who transferred in from LSU and has since uh, sounds like taken maybe a a personal leave, not practicing with the team removed him from the depth chart as well, Removed George Pickens from the depth chart. Uh, So those numbers still, they're a top three unit just in raw talent uh, even without two of the most talented guys at the position in college football. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that there are other questions as well. The offensive line has been an area, you know, that's in flux. Uh, Their projected starting center, Warren Erickson, has been banged up in fall camp. Not sure if he's going to be cleared uh, in time to play Clemson. The secondary was the absolute hardest hit, maybe one of the hardest hit, Individual units in college football by NFL draft declarations. Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell uh, were both you know top forty draft picks. Uh, Richard LeCount also was drafted. Mark Webb also was drafted. And then they lost who started in the uh, bowl game against Cincinnati. Tyreek Stevenson transferred to Miami. So um, a lot of turnover there. They were able to add Darian Kendrick from Clemson, who has All American and first round potential. Uh, but has had some you know, off-the-field things that, that led to him transferring. So we'll see if if uh, Georgia will be able to rely on him. They also brought in another transfer, Tyke Smith. Similarly has All-American-type uh, potential, put up All-American-type numbers at West Virginia last year, but he's one of those guys that's been banged up in fall camp and, and has a foot injury. So doesn't seem like he uh, will be available against Clemson, but still, that unit is absolutely... Uh, stacked from a pure talent standpoint in the secondary Georgia still ranks third in average two, four, seven sports uh, rating uh, in that unit. So uh, there are guys like, you know, Kylie Ringo, Amir speed, Louis Seen, Christopher Smith. Uh, those guys are, are going to have chances to play big roles, step up and, and uh, prove that, you know, they are, are capable of, of carrying over that uh, talent projection and, and turning that into on-field production and, and performance. And, you know, just across the board, even though there are certainly spots where maybe the experience isn't what you would expect from a preseason national championship contender, but Georgia has recruited so well uh, top five recruiting classes basically every year since Kirby Smart took over as head coach. That eventually, you know, you have to think that that talent is, is going to uh step up and, and emerge. I mean, this could be the deepest running back core in the country. Maybe there's not one you know superstar guy, but with Zamir White, James Cook, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, Dejan Edwards, uh, a, you know, they are so talented uh, at running back that a five star uh signee, Lavoisier Carroll moved and and practiced at corner and in uh, you know as soon as he got on campus. so it's it's a team that is just absolutely incredibly, incredibly talented. It seems like they figured out the quarterback position. as long as they can avoid some you know uh, upsets that have plagued them at times of the past, they can avoid some, Uh, you know, poor decision-making at times, which has been a a little bit of an issue. Plenty of people criticize, you know, Kirby Smart's in-game, on-field coaching. Uh, But, uh, you know, from a pure talent standpoint, this team, I mean, just talking talent, has nearly a uh, touchdown talent edge over Clemson, the way we calculate it. So uh, we do have Clemson officially as a favorite in that game, a small favorite. Uh, but Georgia's favorite against everybody else in the regular season by at least a touchdown. And then they do still have the talent, uh, are capable of knocking off Clemson, even though that uh, right now would be an upset in, in our eyes and in the odds maker's eyes as well. But uh, Georgia is, is you know, I, I am certainly – a bit biased. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I, I try to, to be as clear headed as possible when we're talking about these things. Uh, But my financial investment in Georgia uh, in more ways than one, I guess uh, is, uh, you know, a, a factor here in my, I guess, hopes that Georgia will get over that 10 and a half, but I think 11 and one for the regular season is, is about right. And that's where our numbers are. 10.68 projected wins on average, uh, eight and a quarter uh, wins in conference play. So yeah, they might drop the the opener against Clemson. They are absolutely capable of beating everybody else on the schedule. And then, yeah, you know, they could knock off Clemson, lose to Florida, and, and uh, still maybe sneak into the uh, playoff after that. It's possible. Um, if they lose to both Clemson and, and Florida, it's going to be very, very difficult, of course, to get into the playoff, but not out of the realm of possibility either depending on how good Florida is. So I think there are a lot of paths to the uh, to the playoff for Georgia. Uh, but you know the easiest path is just to win all the games on your schedule and and despite some inexperience, some injury concerns, things like that, Georgia's talented enough to beat any team on its schedule.
1: I mean, how about throwing you right in the fires, Xavier? Here you go. Uh, you have the best roster and the highest expectations you had in years. Go play Clemson week one.
3: Yeah, I mean, but that's exactly what I would want if I'm Georgia this season in particular. Because there's a lot of pieces that we have to realize. We have to figure out if they're good enough yet. You know, there's a lot of guys on this team that haven't proved anything. You know, JT Davis had a good, good second half of the year last year, but he avoided Alabama in his one game and really one of, you know, the, the games we played last year. Uh, you know, the defense has a lot of work to do, you know, going into this year. We probably have the most athletic linebacking core we've had since Kirby Smart has gotten there. Um, And probably have the best front seven we have since Kirby Smart's gotten there with, you know, Jordan Davis, who obviously wasn't in the Florida game last year. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, um, Julian Carter, Jalen Carter, who it it might be the best player on that front seven and probably has the brightest future. We'll probably see not as many snaps as some of the guys I've named already. Uh, You know, I I think this Georgia team can go 11 and one. I think they I think they should. Uh, Let me rephrase that. I think you're going to see a team that has to get up to speed really quickly. You know, they, they, they're throwing some really young guys into some high-pressure situations in week one. We talk about Kili Ringo, who's a redshirt freshman. He'll probably see a lot of time. Amir Speed has played a grand total of, you know, 77 snaps in two seasons. You know, uh, you know De- 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 uh, Darion Kendrick is the most senior leading guy in our secondary, and he wasn't even at Georgia last year. So, you know, when you say that, it's really, you know, when you're talking about playing a team like DG, uh, DJ Uyangale, you saw those receivers in spring practice. For Clemson, have a really good year or a really good game, excuse me. This secondary is going to have to hit the ground running if we're going to go 11 and 1 and beat Clemson. You know, so all that being said, I think this is a team that should go 11 and 1. You should bet the over there because I do think there's just that much more talented than Florida. On top of that, when you look at their schedule, there's really nothing there until the Florida game. Thank you, Auburn, for asking the for your game to be put in October and November and not November anymore, because now we don't have to play Florida, then Auburn. Now we get Auburn in October in an isolated situation where we could just focus on you guys. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, Hey, they asked for it. And this is what they get. Now they get Georgia in the middle of October instead of getting, what was it? They used to get Alabama, Georgia, and somebody else in that November span. So now they don't have to get that anymore. Enjoy. Um, So I think that that really helps Georgia in this situation when you look at the rest of their schedule because you can really break it down into three games. Clemson, Auburn, Florida. You handle business in those three games as well as not slipping up to any games into any teams like a Vanderbilt or uh, or Georgia Tech at the end of the year. You're really, you know, looking at a season that should go pretty swimmingly, especially when on top of that, the games in which that Georgia typically has struggled in, you get at home, you get South Carolina at home, you get Arkansas at home, you get Kentucky at home, you even get Missouri at home. You know, those are games that over the last couple of years has has given Georgia some trouble and South Carolina in particular, last time they were in Sanford, they beat Georgia. So add an incentive to win that game as well. Um, this Georgia team should go 11-1. and one. JT Daniels is playing for his draft stock, so I see him going out there and trying to have an amazing year. I think George Pickens will be healthy by the Tennessee game. That's November 13th, um, so I, I'm giving him plenty of time here. I'm not going to be one of these optimistic Georgia fans. I think he'll be there by the Florida game. That's a little too soon. I know that's like only two weeks in between, but... November and October, just two different timetables. I think he he gets healthy by the time we really need him down the stretch between no, in that last week, uh, last month of November, excuse me. Um, and I and not to mention with George Pickens being out, I think it makes the receiving core better in a sense. You, you, now this offseason, you've seen a, a concerted effort from Darnell Washington being more of a focal point. Jermaine Burton's coming into his own as a true sophomore. Kyrus Jackson, who's probably one of the more underrated receivers in the country, has to now get the ball more often. So I think that with George Pickens being out. A lot of these guys that maybe wouldn't see the ball as much or be as much of a focal point will get that kind of PT and will get that kind of uh, that, that that you know the burn that they need to 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 further their skill level. And when George Pickens comes back, he just get comes back in the flow of the offense, and I think JT James will have no problem getting him the football whatsoever.
1: All right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, pretty optimistic, of course, from uh, Xavier, but uh...
3: not as optimistic as you were about Texas.
1: No, not not even a little, but I'm also (laughs) realistic about that. I mean, I just, in this show, said Texas could lose Arkansas. So Uh, uh, let's go over to Kentucky, who... We hear uh, we're actually going to be favorable on this year after a couple years of our numbers not really caring for Kentucky. We have them ranked 47, but they finished on a high note last year with wins over South Carolina and North Carolina State, bouncing back from a slow start to uh, finish season 5 and 6. DK number is at 7, which is exactly what we have them at, 7 and 5. We also have them favored to win and town edges in 7 as well. So what do we think about the Wildcats this year? Let's go, Nick.
0: Yeah, we were, you know, spent a lot of time. I was accused of, of uh, being a Kentucky hater on our uh, shows a lot last year, and and uh, was it by is,
1: anyone except for Xavier and I? Uh,
0: well, I mean, there were Kentucky fans every once in a while will will pop in and and respond, uh, yeah. on Twitter and and things like that <laughs> uh, when when certain thing you know when when certain things are, are written or said or or what have you. Uh, passionate fan base and and deservedly so. I mean, you know, uh, they've they've really uh, built a consistent winning program there. And just for whatever reason, last year our numbers were noticeably lower on Kentucky than uh, a lot of other, in in some cases, really really smart people and and other projection systems. So uh, I was pleased with how it worked out. We had Kentucky pretty well. Uh, pegged from from the beginning of the year. And and uh, despite, you know, accusations of, of uh, bias or, or what have you, uh, it, it worked out okay for us. And, and so this year, we are more on the positive side. I, I kind of thought we might uh, be in a position to bet a Kentucky over, actually, at, at this point. But as you mentioned, our uh, projections are basically right in line with, with what DraftKings has right now. And part of that is just a really, really uh, weak non-conference slate. I mean, outside of the game against Louisville, which we see is pretty much a toss-up, they play three of the weakest um, non-conference opponents anybody in the country plays. Open against ULM in week three, they play Chattanooga, an FCS opponent. And then the week before uh, Louisville in November, they play New Mexico State. So uh, that schedule as a whole, you know, kind of made it to where you could pencil in three automatic wins. And Kentucky's pretty clearly Uh, going to be favored over South Carolina and Vanderbilt in the division. And then, you know, uh, certainly some winnable games against teams like Tennessee, Mississippi state, uh, even Missouri. So a lot of, a lot of favorable matchups. So we're not going to be uh, kind of in an opposite role where we're really high on Kentucky compared to others. I think other people are going to be pretty positive about Kentucky as well. And, you know, they, they, play solid defense. They were a top 50 defense last year, 44, uh, excuse me, 44th in our uh, overall defensive team performance ratings, 43rd against the pass, 63rd against the run. They were a top 20 rushing offense last season, and, and though uh, they did lose A.J. Rose, who was technically their starting running back, who, who uh, was an undrafted free agent, a lot of people would say Christopher Rodriguez was actually the best Kentucky running back and, and could be uh, on the very short list of best SEC running backs. I'm really, really excited about Christopher Rodriguez and, and hoping that he gets, uh, you know, real kind of uh, bell cow type carries uh, opportunities at Kentucky. I, I think he could be in line for a really, really uh, huge season. They've got a solid offensive line. Uh, talked about. Uh, Kentucky fans jumping in in uh, mentions on Twitter I I, uh, mentioned something about Kentucky having a a good offensive line and uh, that was taken as an insult uh, (laughs) because apparently Kentucky how dare you they're great apparently Kentucky has a great offensive line so I went through and said well they rank 20th in our Uh, Offensive line team performance ratings last year. They're 28th in average 247 rating. They're 21st in our position strength ratings. Uh, You know, 25th by rivals, 24th in average. So, you know, a lot of solid numbers. Uh, They do have a max rated uh, tackle in Darian Kennard, preseason All American, 100 rated player in our uh, individual player ratings. But he's one of, you know, three starters uh, returning and they're just not necessarily sure things. On the, uh, it sounds like Kennard started at right tackle, was going to play left tackle in the spring. Now sounds like he's, he's potentially going to be back on the right hand side. So, but anyway, they've, they've got three guys, uh, that are, you know, experienced, were part of a lot of success there. They also added, uh, De Rosenthal from LSU who was a starter at, at LSU he should be in the mix at uh, one of those tackle spots but anyway they're they're going to be able to run the football just fine uh, they added a talented playmaker one of my favorite players in Wondell Robinson a transfer from Nebraska it's a guy who can you know test defenses in a variety of ways uh, they have a new offensive Coordinator brought in a, a uh, you know some NFL influence to kind of open up the offense a bit, uh, hopefully you know move it forward a little bit uh, schematically, and be able to to really utilize guys like Wanda Robinson and Josh Ali, tight end Justin Riggs. So excited to see how um, those type of guys are, are used in the new system. Excited to see Will Levis who. Uh, has all the physical tools. He can run, he can throw it a mile, uh, was able to come in, beat Joey Gatewood out for that starting job, and, and Gatewood transferred. So now it's it's Levis's show, and he's not just going to be a short yardage guy uh, like he was for the most part at Penn State, a runner first and, and foremost when he was inserted into the uh, into the offense at, at Penn State the last year or two. So it's going to be exciting to see what he can do and kind of unleash his, his uh, range of, of skills uh, there for Kentucky. Still not a – it's not like he's a, a slam dunk. The guy has, has started two games, has played fewer than 200 snaps in each of the last two seasons, but uh, there's certainly a lot to like and, and to build around. And they lost some talent on defense as well. They had uh, four, five defensive starters who were drafted last year. Jermaine Davis, a first rounder. Uh, Kelvin Joseph went mid-second round. And then uh, Quentin Bohanna, interior defensive lineman, Phil Hoskins, interior defensive lineman, and Brandon Echols, the other starting corner opposite Kelvin Joseph. All those guys are now in the NFL. There are others in NFL camps, including Bo- uh, Boogie Watson at linebacker. So a lot to to rebuild defensively. You have to wonder if they're going to play a little bit faster on offense, maybe score a little quicker, or you know punt a little quicker. How's that going to impact uh, the defense that put up some really solid numbers defensively? They also potentially could have had a hit to uh, depth. There are a lot of guys who recently have run into some legal trouble, no projected starters, but... Uh, including three guys in the secondary too deep might be suspended We'll have to see don't know all the the details yet don't know if they're gonna be out how long uh, but there there are reasons you can poke holes in, in some uh, you know particular spots in, in the Kentucky too deep but there's still I think more to like than not so I'm, I'm pretty positive about Kentucky personally. our numbers, like them think that they're going to win uh, six and three quarters games on average. They should have no problem uh, going three and one at the absolute worst in the non-conference and could certainly go four and oh by beating Louisville. And then at that point, all you need is a couple of sec wins and you've got Vanderbilt and South Carolina on the schedule and a few other winnable games as well. So uh, Kentucky getting to seven, I think is absolutely the expectation I think getting to eight is very possible. Um, we just don't, you know, a team like Kentucky that doesn't quite have the overall talent. They're barely inside the top fifty in the overall roster strength. Seventy-first on the offensive side of the ball. There's not a lot of room for error, and depth is a little bit more of a concern there than it is at, at you know, the the top division contenders. Uh, so it's it's difficult to pencil in. That they're gonna win those 60-40 games, you know, consistently, or especially those 55 or, or 50% chance uh, wins consistently. But they absolutely are capable of it. So I think this is a, a seven win team, but it would not surprise me at all if, if they can get to eight wins.
1: Xavier, what do you think of Kentucky this year? Because you know, uh, looking at the schedule. Uh, Mm -hmm. like, like Nick had said, they're definitely, I mean, they're going to lose to to Florida, right? They're going to lose to, uh, Georgia for sure. Um, they're probably going to lose to LSU, but every other game is is winnable here. Mississippi state's tough, but I think they can win that. I think they could beat Louisville at the end of the year. Um, you know, and the rest of the schedule isn't that rough. Missouri's a tough one early, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think I think this team could be sitting with a a decent amount of wins at the end of the year.
3: Yeah, it's really about just navigating that three game stretch against you know where you play Florida, LSU, and Georgia, and making sure that that doesn't really define your season. You know, you got to go into those three games understanding what it is that you have to You know, you have to do. Uh, You know, you have to make it through unscathed injury wise, and just and make sure that you compete. You know, and and from that, like I talked about, you know, a, a couple teams ago, is making sure that your confidence isn't shot from playing three of the best teams in your conference to where it, it you know, it it leads to you being upset by Mississippi state on the road, which is very well possible. Like, like like, let's call it what it is. Going to Starkville is not an easy game for anybody. And, And especially where, you know, you're looking, you know, where in that game, if you're Kentucky, you maybe have lost three straight, maybe you've lost two out of your last three, regardless, it's a game that you don't need to go into impress because that'll be a game in which you lose that you'll want back at the end of the year when you're sitting there and maybe you know six and six or five and seven. So I, I think that as long as they can navigate that game and and uh, make sure also on top of that they don't to before that that three game stretch they don't overlook a game like South Carolina on the road. Their team that absolutely should win seven to eight ball games this year. Um, you know, for me. I think Louisville will be a little bit more of a difficult game than them, than maybe we're giving credit to down the, at the end of the season. Um, obviously, it's a rivalry game, so that, that lends its own, you know, its own, you know, level of, you know, scrutiny. But at the same time, I think Louisville is going to be a better of a team. We, we talked about them in the ACC episode. Go back and watch that one if you haven't listened to that one already. As being a team that could possibly be in the middle of the ACC this year, so I think that they're going to be a team that's going to give Kentucky a run for their money at the end of the season. When I say that, I think this, this is a seven win ball club. Even with everything I've said, seven wins is what I'm expecting from Kentucky this year. It's pretty much what I've been expecting from Kentucky year in and year out at this point. You know, if they don't get to, you know, six, if they don't get to a bowl game, it's pretty much a down year for them at this point, at this rate, like last season. I think that they have the talent to do so. You know, I, I love Josh Ali. Nick, answer this for me. I just, I just want to have a little fun really quick. Any chance Wondell Robinson plays any snaps at quarterback?
0: Quarterback? That would, that would surprise me. Uh, But I know know that he wanted to be in a more pro-style offense, didn't really Mm -hmm. want to be used as a ball carrier as much as he was his first couple of years at at Nebraska. Um,
3: He's also from Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, But he's one of the most athletically gifted players in college football. And so I think when you're – a team like Kentucky as we saw a couple of years ago and, and of course, different offensive coaching staff. But when they said, Hey, we've got Lynn Bowden and nobody else does, let's find a way to get him the football as, as much as possible, mm-hmm. uh, especially after they had an injury at, at the quarterback position. So I guess nothing would surprise me if, if uh, you know, Mark Stoops says, Hey, whatever, you know, unfortunately if, if something were to happen to Will Levis, Hey, let's, let's figure something out. Uh, but any snaps that wouldn't surprise me. Take a lot of snaps, it certainly would. But he's a super talented player, and I, I think you have to find ways to get him the football. And, He'll get a couple there for sure. He certainly could. But they the use one Chris Rodriguez. Bat. Well, they they use Chris Rodriguez a lot of you know Wildcat quarterback and, yeah. and stuff like that. And he's uh, you know much bigger. And, and you would say, hey, if you need somebody to get you two yards, is it going to be two hundred and twenty pound? Chris Rodriguez, or is it going to be 190 pound? Uh, maybe <laughs> Wondell Robinson. <laughs> so going to be
1: running jet sweeps with him at the right. uh, you seems- know, at, at the goal line. So yeah. for sure. So, um, but any more on Kentucky's over here? I'm sorry.
3: No. Just lastly, one of my favorite names in college football again, Cabassier Smoke. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I'd draft him in my CFF just for the name. That's all I'd say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well, with that, let's go over. Uh to the next squad up here, which is LSU and few teams have fallen farther uh, faster than LSU and they Uh followed up their amazing 2019 national title. Joe burrow season with a five and five record And they need wins over florida and Ole miss to reach 500 at the end of the year Uh their dk win total is eight We have them at seven and five which seems to be a bettable number here nick favor to win seven count edges in 11 But what do we think of LSU? Uh, in 2021,
0: here. Yeah, I mean, it it is a tempting number, and sort of, I guess, to let people in on my thought press process a little bit uh, when it comes to actually betting. And I am not at all a sophisticated better. I don't know all the lingo and and uh, all of that. But usually, I prefer when our three projection models line up, or at least there's two really strong. Uh, indicators in, in two of the three to make me think, okay, there's some agreement here on, on this number. For LSU, it's a, it, it's not completely all over the place, but, I mean, talent edge is an 11. Wow, you think, man, that's, you know, uh, the only team that has a talent advantage uh, is Alabama uh, against LSU. So that that makes you feel pretty good that they're going to, you know, have the more talented team on the field more often than not. The stats model Actually, even likes them to win nine games, or, or at least you know be favored in nine games. That's that's a, a positive for sure. But once you dig into that a little bit, uh, there are one, two, three, four, five games in the first six weeks, and six games prior to the bye week in, in late October, in which LSU has an you know has a, a is a a favorite projected favorite by the stats model of four points or fewer so you kind of have to you know win a a lot of coin flips in that situation uh and that's only one model i mean they're bigger favorite in some of those games in our official model uh but they're also an underdog in one of those uh, as well in our official model so you know back to the point, I guess, Uh, there are some positive signs, but then on the other hand, the official model uh, is below the eight with only favored to win in seven. And that also includes some toss-ups. I mean, we have them as a one and a half point favorite against Auburn, for example. Uh, We do have them as a very, very slight underdog on the road against Ole Miss. So you think that those might even themselves out a little bit.
2: Uh, But
0: There there are a lot of toss-up games, and a big part of that is turnover at the coordinator positions. And this is the second consecutive year in which Ed Orgeron has had to hire two new coordinators, uh, guys who are coming from outside the program. And and there is a tie to uh, Joe Brady on the offensive side with with who they were uh, able to hire there, but um, still. Little bit, you know, especially after last year was a bit bumpy. Uh, once, once Brady left, and then on the defensive side of the ball, hire an NFL-minded uh, head coach guy or, or defensive coordinator who's been in the NFL for a long time. You would think, okay, it it certainly can't get worse than it was last year under Bo Polini when they ranked 85th in defensive team performance, 111th against the pass, and they actually ranked 125th in yards allowed per pass attempt and 125th. In yards allowed per play, uh, so it was it was about as bad as it gets last season. But still, you're you're now learning a a you know everybody who's been in the program for at least three years is on their third defensive coordinator. There's just you know that that's a that's an obstacle that you have to overcome, and some teams are certainly able to do it. Last year, LSU absolutely was not. So there's there's just a little hesitation on my part to think that they are going to you know, be able to, to bounce back completely. I do think that LSU will be much improved. I think that there were some positives to take from beating Florida at the end of last season and, and beating Ole Miss. But, again, I, you know, I like to refer to those postgame win expectancy numbers uh, from uh, CFBGraphs.com. They were less than fifty percent in both of those games, according to uh, you know the statistics. Once you add them all up, what what percentage would this team normally win uh, based on this box score? And LSU was thirty three percent against Florida, forty seven percent against Ole Miss. So you could argue, and you, I mean, everybody saw the Florida game, saw the saw the shoe. Uh, but you could you could argue that LSU was very fortunate, if not lucky, to win both of those games. So that that makes me think, OK, yeah, they they fought back, played better, improved, especially with Max Johnson at quarterback. So they should be able to you know carry some momentum into uh, this year. But then also, I think, well. They won a couple of games that maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe, maybe on average, they only should have won one of those. Was this really a four win team, not a five win team? And so it's, you know, it's a little bit difficult to uh, let myself, you know, talk myself back into a, a big time bounce back to where LSU should be a top 10 type team. So I'm actually pretty comfortable with where our projections currently have LSU, they have them ranked 25th overall in our power ratings, as you mentioned, sixth best team in the SEC. They certainly could be a better team than that. They rank 14th overall in roster strength, including the number seven defense in the country. Uh, So this is a very, very talented team. In raw talent, top 10 in the country. The offense ranks ninth in average 247 rating. The defense ranks fourth. They might have the best cornerback duo in the country, in Derek Stingley Jr. and Eli Ricks, uh, the pass rush is expected to be a huge, huge strength. Guys like uh, Allie Gay and Andrew, uh, excuse me, Andre Anthony. Uh, the linebacker core should be improved. I see that you know PFF has Mike Jones Jr., the transfer from Clemson, as a preseason All-American, one of their uh, highest graded players in college football. And you can add a transfer like that. You expect, OK, that's that's somebody who can help uh, maybe calm down this unit a little bit and, and help them uh, improve health, of course, is is going to be an issue. Stingley was seemed like never at 100 percent last year. But, you know, I, I, I hesitate. I think LSU was what? Top 15, at least in the AP poll um, when it was when it was released. That seems that seems a bit much to me. Uh, I think this is a top 25 team. You could you could maybe uh, get me to to put them in a top 20 as well, but things were so bad last year. I I just don't think they bounce all the way back. I mean, it's going to be difficult. Even on offense, they rank 49th in, in overall team performance, 28th in passing team performance, 96th in rushing team performance. The offensive line, you know, was was. Good, not great. Forty third in performance ratings. They do have four returning starters, but depth is a major issue on the offensive line. So, you know, LSU has the talent, especially in the starting lineup, but in certain spots, there's some depth concerns. The change in coaches, uh, you know, concerns me a little bit as well. So, I, I, I think we see a much improved LSU team. But with a strength of schedule that ranks tenth in the country, I don't love the trip to UCLA to start. Uh, they play Florida as always, and a crossover opponent from the East. They play at Alabama, at Texas A&M. Jesus, everybody play at Texas A&M this year? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a tough road, and, and there are still plenty of questions that, despite so much success two years ago. It's hard for me to imagine uh, that they're closer to that team than they are closer to the team we saw last season. But I do absolutely think that that LSU is going to get back on track uh, to to at least some extent. Our numbers are a little too over the pl- you know, all over the place for me to have a, a real strong feeling on, on one way or the other. But I I think I think I lean to uh, this being a seven and five team, more than I lean to it being a nine and three team. So I think if I had to say over or under the eight, I'd, I'd prefer to be on the under, which we are.
1: Xavier, what do you think of LSU this year? Because, like Nick said, you know, th- they dropped off pretty quick, and I think people still may be living there with this win total. Uh, this is a, a tough schedule. Uh, 10, like Nick said again, uh, it's it's hard to find the positives here.
3: Yeah, I mean, but isn't that really tough of a schedule when you really break it down? Uh, you, you talk about starting their game, at, starting with their season at UCLA. That's going to be a tough game. You know, I, I still expect them to beat a UCLA team that I think has a lot of holes, especially on defense. But outside of really that game, the first you know five weeks of the season, I expect them to handle pretty, pretty pretty swimming. You know, McNeese State they should win, Central Michigan they should win, Mississippi State they should handle, and Auburn I think. Like I said, I think Auburn is going to be a much worse team. I think they should handle that game, and it's at home. You're really looking at the three game window, which kind of defines their season, and then AM to end the year. You know, you you got you have Florida, Ole Miss, bi week, Bama. If you can manage that part of the schedule well, and make sure that you win outright beforehand. This is easily a seven-win team, I, you know. I, this is easily an eight-win, you know, and, and possibly an eight-win ball club. You know, if they lose the games that we have them losing, then they end up with eight wins. So they end up right at the number that they, that that they're projected to get. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they do. I think this defense is going to be much improved. I think this defense is pissed off. I think this defense has heard all off-season how bad they were, how how they how you know abysmal they were against the pass, especially. I think you look at a defense with Derek Stingley being the head of the spear, that's going to be so much better defensively. And at least at the very at the very least, give effort. That's going to be better than what we saw last year. I expect Elias Ricks to take a, a huge step this year after a, a, you know have to be, having to be thrown into the fire as a freshman, takes that next step this year as a sophomore and looks better. I, I expect them to be a better up front than they were last year. The, the the biggest thing about that team going into last season was the fact that a lot of them were seniors and juniors but hadn't played much that's how deep the you know the, the national championship team was a lot of these guys didn't get snaps I mean you look at our you know you look at our numbers and you know they're they're, they're two starting off defensive linemen have a combined you know 13 games for one nine games for another started that's not a lot of games that's one full season you know technically speaking so when you when you look at that when you look at a defense that's really that was really young last year it makes sense that you know what was it, four weeks into the year, Ed Ogeron came out and said, we're going to dumb down the defense and make it more simple so that these guys can understand it better. I think they now with a full offseason, they've been able to ratchet that defense back up, and we'll see a more, you know, complete defense from LSU this year, which I think will bode well for an offense that I think found its footing down the stretch of last year's season. Yeah, we we talked about how, you know, know, Florida's defense wasn't anything, you know, to be excited about last year, but that was an LSU team that put up, you know, Almost 40 points against that LSU team, or uh, excuse me, against that forward team at the end of the year. You know, this was a, a team that found its footing a little bit offensively as the year progressed, and I think can at least hang their hat on that. You know, I, I don't know if their offense is going to be, ex- you know, they're not going to get back to what they were, you know, in 2019 with, with Joe Burrow whatsoever, but I think they can hold, you know, they can lean on the fact that they, Got some confidence down the stretch of last year's, you know, putting 52 points up against South Carolina, going in, and, and having a shootout against Missouri early in the year. I think they can point to some of the points where last year they go, well, you know, our defense didn't come to play that game and our offense didn't come to play this game. And that lack of consistency from both, I think, will be, you know, will be nipped in the bud this offseason. And I think this is at worst an eight-win ball club and they at least get back to, you know, being relatively good. And I'm not saying that they're going to challenge for the SEC West. I don't think they're better than a and I don't think they're better than Alabama. I don't think they're better than any of those guys. I don't think they're better than Ole Miss. But I do think that they have an opportunity here to at least right the ship a little bit after what was an abysmal season last year. So I would say eight wins, which means I wouldn't bet to go over or under on this team. I would bet for them to stay straight pat at eight. I think this is a team that can do that uh, and will do that. And I think you'll also see an improved year from Max Johnson, who needs one or uh, he, or, uh, if he doesn't have one this year, he's moving into KJ Costello territory and uh, it's going to, and that's not a great territory to be in two years into your college career where we're starting to question whether or not the hype that he had coming into school
1: was warranted. All right. With that, let's go over to Mississippi state at number 40 and a forty-four thirty-four 34 went over LSU in the opener offered a storybook start for Mike Leach. But uh, then they lost seven of their last eight uh, of its next eight to finish uh, four and seven on the year in year one for him. Uh, our record has them at six and six this year, which is also six is the DK win total. Uh, Favorite to win seven. Talent edges in six. Um, weird year for Mississippi State, Nick. Uh, they start out hot. Uh, I think that was the most yards in SEC history or whatever, uh, and then looked just flat after that. So uh, how can they improve this year?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it was a really odd season. And uh, for them to come out in in some ways might have been the worst thing to happen was knocking off the defending national champions in your first game. And, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, you know, Mississippi State is is uh, going to be, you know, a, a top 20 team, what have you. KJ Costello is going to be in the Heisman race. Uh, but obviously LSU we didn't know exactly how bad that defense was uh, at that point, and And we didn't really know how uh, far LSU had fallen in a lot of ways at, at that point. Um, but, you know, at, at Mississippi state, they certainly had a, a bumpy road for a lot of it. Offensively, you know, Mike, Mike Leach is, is uh, really highly rated as far as our, offensive play caller numbers go still. He's uh, 13th offensive coordinator ratings in, in our uh, projections. He's got a really strong head coaching rating as well, top 40 nationally. And that's after uh, Mississippi State ranked 89th in overall team performance last year, 101st on the offensive side of the ball, uh, which is not at all what, what we're used to seeing from a, a Mike Leach offense. And part of it was they were really shorthanded. They had to rely on a uh, true freshman at some really important spots. Will Rogers uh, eventually, you know, took over. I think KJ Costello was banged up midseason or, or kind of in the early uh, portion. And, but then also maybe Will Rogers kind of took the job away from him a little bit as well. And he showed some, uh, you know, showed some promise, but, was not at all spectacular, had seven picks. Uh, so the two of them combined had 18 uh, last year, which is a, a major problem that you've got to get fixed. But their top two running backs after Kylan Hill uh, opted out were true freshmen. Their top receiver, um, Jaden Wally, was a true freshman. Uh, they had other guys, you know, playing playing key roles as well. So I think that the unit will be improved offensively. I know they do still have an ongoing quarterback battle. Will Rogers is having to uh, defend his job. Jack Abraham, it sounds like, is is maybe out of it, the transfer from Southern Miss, because he's been uh, been hurt a little bit as well, had a good spring, but uh, doesn't seem to be in the mix right now. They brought in one of their highest rated quarterback recruits ever in Sawyer Robinson. Uh, and, and then, you know, they've also got some, some depth guys there as well. Chance Lovertich was a transfer from South Alabama. Uh, so there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of, of guys and you expect that you know, one of them is going to be a productive passer, uh, at Mississippi state, but everybody else is, you know, a year in the system and, and should be coming back Jaquavius Marks, Dylan Johnson, those two running backs. They also added a, a talented athlete and Simeon price to the mix. In addition to Wally, Austin Williams and Malik Keith, both starters, are, are coming back. They added uh, some experienced transfers in and Makai Polk and Jameer Calvin. So there's, there's plenty to work with offensively. I don't think this is going to be a triple-digit offense moving forward, but will it be a top-50 offense? Will it be a top-25 offense like we're used to seeing when Mike Leach was at Texas Tech and, and Washington State? Is it going to be a top-10 offense? or among the national leaders in passing offense after ranking 71st in our offensive passing team performance ratings last year. So there's still a lot of questions, but I think uh, part of the the silver lining to last year's struggles through the middle of the season were, you know, threw a lot of freshmen into the fire and and some of them came out as some pretty productive players. So maybe they can build upon that. Defensively, I, I think they're in a pretty good place. They're, uh, they ranked 57th in defensive team performance last year, but a lot of their advanced uh, statistics actually rated rated pretty highly. I mean, in, in just standard yards per play allowed, they were top 30 nationally. In points per drive, adjusted for garbage time, they were top 50. They were 48th in that. They were 51st in success rate against, uh, and 45th in expected points added Per play, So they were a, a solid top 50 type defense for, for most of the year, even though team performance ended up closer to 60. Uh, but they're talented on that side of the ball. they no elite unit, but a top 30 defensive line in our roster strength ratings, uh, top 35 front seven, top 40 secondary, including two of the most productive corners that we saw last year and Martin Emerson Jr. and Emmanuel Forbes. The all five starters return. In the secondary so you know there's there's i think a lot to build upon with mississippi state i think this will be an improved team uh their non-conference schedule is tough they are about a double digit favorite over louisiana tech but nc state and memphis are pretty close they're favored in both in our projections but uh around a field goal each in, in both of those LSU and Texas A&M, and then a bye week and then Alabama to be your first three SEC opponents is uh, a very, very difficult draw, but they do get Vanderbilt in addition to Kentucky in the cross uh, division uh, play. So they have an opportunity, I think, to, after that Alabama game, have a lot of success in, in the second half of the season. It's just what can they do in the first six games prior to that? Because one in five is... A distinct possibility. I think two and four, and and you know three and three is kind of where we have it. If, if you just say take the favorite in, in all three, uh, but that might be best case scenario. So I think that Mississippi State, if they can avoid a disastrous start, uh, certainly is capable of of getting to a bowl game. We expect a little over six wins on average, and so I you know wouldn't necessarily say bet the, the over or the under our stats model actually only has them favored in four games. Uh, but I I think because the second half of the schedule is very manageable, I think Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee state are all very winnable games. If you can get two of those three in the non-conference, that's six right there. You kind of have a free roll. Anything can happen against, uh, Ole Miss and the egg bowl. We already talked about neither of us. None of us are, are all that high on Auburn. So I think I lean to the over if I had to choose a side. But I think six and six, uh, you know, where our projection has them is, is probably the most likely result.
1: Xavier, Mississippi State, I mean, you know, Mike Leach teams tend to go good one way, bad the other. So uh, what do you think about Mississippi State for this year?
3: Yeah, this could either go really good or really bad for them this year. I think their non-conference schedule is pretty difficult. Um, Obviously, I think they'll beat Louisiana Tech, but this is very well a team that could be 1-4 by their bye week. Uh, You know, NC State is going to be a tough one. Memphis – I think they should beat Memphis, but that's not any guarantees, uh, especially not at Memphis uh, in the Liberty Bowl. Then they play LSU and then at A&M. And then they get Alabama. This could be a team that could be 1-5 and five by the time that they see Vanderbilt in October. And from there, do you end up seeing a situation where kind of like last season where they end up pressing down the stretch, trying to claw their way back? into being just you know respectable and you know they they slip against a, an arkansas on the road or they lose to auburn you know as well and this is this is this is easy could easily be a three win four win ball club this year i, w- I would not be surprised if they were that bad uh going into this year and i know the number says you know six you know i i would bet the under and i think i would bet the under pretty confidently their schedule does not set up well for a team that you expect at the very least needs a little bit of that confidence before they're able to just you know before they, they're able to make that next step into becoming, you know, one of the teams that kind of sit in the middle of the SEC West, and, and especially for Mike Leach, he needs to be able to build some confidence. Last year, you know, he, he started off really well by by stomping LSU into the ground, and, and then he kind of pitter pattered his way through the rest of the year. And I think that that was kind of, you know, a little bit of the the trend for Mississippi State last year. They would look really good one game, and they would look, you know, like you know, uh, one of the bottom three or four teams in the SEC. And I think when you look at their schedule, it's not even that they may look like one of the bottom three or four teams in the SEC. They just play some of the more talented teams in the SEC to start their year off and which would make the you know the final six or seven ball games really imperative for them to win all of them. And it's really hard when you're not that talented of a team to win, you know, three games straight, let alone asking yourself after the Alabama game to beat Vandy, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn and Ole Miss straight to just make a bowl game, to just reach the six-win mark uh, possibly. So I don't see – I would bet the the under for Mississippi State pretty comfortably. Um, I think this is a five-win ball club at best this year. I think their non-conference schedule doesn't do them any favors, like I said. Uh, and I think that when we look at their second half of the year, yes, could I see them beating Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Auburn all in a row? Sure. However, with two of those games being on the road – or three out of those four games being on the road – um, I just don't see them being able to complete that kind of run, uh, not after, you know, possibly starting off as slow and as sluggish as they have. And, and really, I think this could be another bad year for for Mississippi State. Um, I don't think Mike, Le- Mike Leach is in any danger going in uh, if he were to have a bad year. But I will say that I expect this to be, you know, a four and eight kind of year, five and seven kind of season for Mississippi State going into this year.
1: All right, let's go over to Missouri, who ranks uh, 49th in our ranks. And uh, another team that got a win over LSU for new head coach Eli Drinkwitz last year. And that was part of uh, five wins in six midseason games. They did finish five and five after two late losses. Uh, DK number has them at seven. We have them at six and six, uh, favored to win five. Town edges in five. Missouri's a good team, but another team that is going to suffer from a tough SEC schedule, right, Nick?
2: Yeah, and and I think
0: overall I'm fairly optimistic about the future of of Missouri under Eli Drinkwitz. I think that he is uh, one of the better offensive play callers out there. I mean, he's 16th in our offensive coordinator rankings because he is uh, the play caller there. He's still very early in his career as a head coach. Last season – Showed some promise at, at times, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They were actually top forty in passing team performance. Was a little bit of a surprise uh, because you know guys like uh, Larry Roundtree, they you know w- was so productive. I was a little surprised that they actually graded out as lowly as low as they did in rushing team performance, but. Uh, still, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of reason to like the offense moving forward. Connor Bazelak got his foot, you know, feet wet as a uh, almost full-time starter uh, last year as a redshirt freshman and should be in a very, very good position to take another step forward this year. He's got some talent to work with, not the deepest receiver core, but uh, Kiki Chisholm is, is uh, you know, kind of uh, flashed at times. Uh, Toski Dove is somebody that I think has some potential. Um, they've been banged up a little bit. Mookie Cooper, a transfer from Ohio State, that is one of those you know prototypical speed slot guys that can uh, hurt you in a variety of ways. He, it doesn't look like, is going to be ready uh, to play in, in uh, week one. We have him listed as questionable, but I think I'm about to change that to – Doubtful based on the, the last thing that I saw, but you know for the for the full season, uh, he should be somebody that can come in and, and have an instant impact. The offensive line lost their best guy, uh, their you know fifth round draft pick Larry Borum, starting right tackle, but everybody else is back. Plus, they bring back uh, Hiron White, who probably should slide into that spot. Who's uh, started games before? They also brought in a couple of transfers to compete, including. Uh, a right tackle from Montana State who started 21 games at the FCS level named Connor Wood. So um, you know, I, I think offensively, there's definitely a lot to like there. And, and I think just Drinkwitz as a uh, offensive architect is is somebody that I would buy stock in if possible. Uh, so I think that this unit is going to take a step forward defensively. I'm You know, a a little concern. Last year, they were very, very close to triple digits. They were ninety-eighth in defensive team performance overall, ninety-eighth against the pass, eighty-second against the run. And they, you know, have a have a few personnel issues. They lost two of their more, you know, really three of of their most talented uh, defensive players. Three of their five draft picks were defensive starters last year. Linebacker Nick Bolton, and then the two starting safeties, Tyreek Gillespie and Joshua Bledsoe. Uh, They did replace Bolton with another guy who is a 100 uh, max rated player in our individual player ratings, grad transfer from Rice, Blagia Aldridge, who's been incredibly, incredibly productive uh, as a linebacker. And he's come in and sounds like secured a starting spot, I believe, was named a captain this week. So they're ready to go there. They also brought in uh, one, have a new defensive backs coach who came over from Tulsa. And as luck would have it, two of Tulsa's. Uh, top players, uh, Caleb Evans and Allie Green, both corners, uh, decided to enter the transfer portal and and uh, found their way to Missouri. So uh, that's a, a great you know spot to be in to replace a couple of guys who were drafted, or really three guys who were drafted, go through the, to the transfer portal and find immediate starters, guys who you know can just sort of plug and play uh, at at uh, you know three defensive spots, and then. Up front, Trajan Jeffcoat was an all-SEC performer last year at defensive end. Uh, he and Isaiah McGuire are both returning starters. The interior of the defensive line hopefully be a little bit healthier. Kobe Whiteside is uh, back after missing some time last year at Byers. So I, I think that defensively they'll be you know, improved, hopefully, statistically. Part of that could be a, a little easier schedule, not having to play an uh, SEC only schedule, I think should help them. But, you know, Steve Wilkes is the new defensive coordinator there who two years ago or three years ago was the head coach uh, of the Arizona Cardinals, has been a defensive coordinator in the NFL for a long time, so knows a lot. Uh, And I would expect we'll have those guys coached up. Sometimes I worry about that a little bit to where maybe, you know, a guy who's been in the NFL for decades or, or what have you coming to the college game, might try to install too much, make it a little too complicated. Uh, so that's something just to be, I guess, aware of. But I, I think defensively, you know, there's, there's definitely something to build upon. And I think the personnel is very similar this year, uh, if not even, you know, slightly improved. The defensive roster strength numbers are actually a little bit better than the offensive numbers. They're 36th in defensive roster strength on defense compared to 47 on offense, 37 overall. Which means that they're not going to be, you know, the most talented team in a lot of SEC games. They are actually uh, about a four and a half point underdog in talent edge against Kentucky early on. Uh, only about a, a touchdown favorite against Vanderbilt in talent edge early on. Uh, so, you know, they're they're going to have to coach guys and 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 scheme things up uh, to be able to beat more talented teams. And I think in the long run, Missouri is going to get there this year. You know, I, I was I was a little surprised to see that the DraftKings uh, Draft King's number is seven. I know the the non conference schedule is very very manageable. I even think that they uh, we have it as a virtual toss up against Boston College, but I think that's definitely a, a winnable game. Four and zero oh, in the non conference is definitely on the table. Three and one is is pretty likely. Uh, plus, you know, they're they're going to be either. Slightly favored or slight underdogs against Kentucky, Tennessee. They will be favored against Vanderbilt. They will be favored against South Carolina, Arkansas. At the end of the season's a, a toss-up game. So there are a lot of winnable games on the schedule, but I just don't know if the talent and depth are, are quite there uh, to for me to be able to quite give Missouri that benefit of the doubt. I think in two or three years, unless Eli Drinkwitz gets plucked away and and you know gets a uh, potentially, you know, a little more prestigious job uh, at, at one of the you know real powerhouses in college football. But I think Missouri is absolutely going to challenge for a bowl uh, every year that that he's there. Uh, I believe in his his abilities. I guess that much. Uh, but you know, I, I think that this is definitely a team that can knock off a team or two that might have a, a talent edge against it. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that consistently enough to get to. Eight wins this year. I mean that that seems like a lot. I I think seven is certainly possible, but I do think that six and six, based on our projections, is a lot more likely than eight and four. So even though I, I'd be willing to uh, kind of give them an extra win because I do like the coaching situation there, uh, even that wouldn't get me to over the seven. So I, I guess you know we just have to be under seven based on our numbers and, and even as optimistic as I am that that does seem right for now.
1: It looks like Missouri's a new Kentucky's up here. So, uh, uh, but, but I understand that. I mean, this is a a tough schedule and you did definitely give them, uh, some confidence in their non-conference schedule here, Nick, but, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is what moving over to the, uh, SEC is kind of a, middling big 12 team gets you it gets you you know some some rough years but a lot to build on this team is on the rise for sure i just don't know if they're gonna put it together this season
3: yeah this is what's gonna happen when texas finally moves to the sec
1: 100 <laughs> percent. i mean you laugh i know i know that's exactly <laughs> oh. what's gonna happen they get kicked around for a little bit
3: yeah, I mean, hey, you end up being a little brother. I mean, hopefully, you have the early success that Missouri had with you know, um, you know, uh, when they went to the SEC championship game in like their first four years. So, hey, maybe you get that kind of a success early on, and then you finally find out that it's tougher than what you thought. Uh, but yeah, I, I love what Missouri has going into the future. I, I love Carter Bazalek. I think this is a guy who could take several. You know, he could be the the next quote unquote Drew Lock at Missouri. Uh, could, could could get that kind of draft love by the time he's done. At Missouri, he's got the size. He's got the he's got the physical tangibles as well. I think he's a guy who can definitely do that. I just feel like, like Nick said, they're a couple of years away from having another one of those teams. And it, this is typical of a, of a middling team in the SEC. Every one to three slash four years, you come with a team that's possibly, you know, that could possibly win nine or ten games in the SEC that year, depending on your schedule. We see see this with Mississippi State all the time. We see it with Auburn pretty consistently. We've even seen it with Missouri in the past with Drew Locke and, and uh, other teams where they can, you know, one year, you know, they they finally have a, a team that's built. For a one-year run, where they can go and win nine, ten games, possibly catch a couple of the top teams slipping, and, and you know maybe make it to the SEC championship game. That is not this year. I think that is a year that they are building for. Um, I think Nick. I think they're going to do everything within their power to keep a hold of Drinkwitz. Uh, I think they like what he's uh, what he's doing for the program. I think that he has them going in the right direction as well. Um, so I, I, I think you know you're absolutely right. Will they make it to a bowl game this year? I think it's a little bit too much of a stretch for me. Uh, You look at their schedule and I just don't see enough games uh, of guaranteed right now for me to say that they're going to be able to do so. You know, they they have a lot of toss up games like Kentucky, like they have Tennessee at home, uh, you know, which in which I think they could they could win. You know that these are games that are very toss up like. However, I just don't see them being able to do so. They may be able to get one, maybe like Kentucky on the road, but I don't see them beating Tennessee at home. Or maybe they beat Tennessee at home, but not Kentucky on the road. It's going to be too much of that kind of inconsistency from them this year that I think is what's going to end up leading to them, you know, winning only five or, you know, five games. You know, what I see them being more of a, maybe 500, but I would bet the under on seven. Uh, I think seven's a little too rich for my blood here. It would take for them to, you know, possibly pull off, you know, a quote-unquote upset against maybe a Boston College on the road uh, for them to go above seven. Maybe they beat Texas A&M at home when they get them. Maybe they're able to upset Florida at the end of the year. Maybe Florida by that time has given up on the season because they're not title contenders. We've seen that from Florida teams in the past, and they go into Missouri and they kind of play lackluster for maybe a half. So we've seen it before. Uh, it, It wouldn't surprise me if Florida, you know, at that point in their year, maybe Eight and you know, seven and three don't really care anymore. They go into there trying some new things. Maybe Emory Jones has been benched by that point by Dan Mullins, just trying out new things for next season, and they lose to a Missouri team. We've seen weird things happen. Heck, they lost to LSU last season, but I think you're right. They had the 27th ranked recruiting class this year in the country. That is one of the highest recruiting classes that maybe in Missouri history, um, you know, they got to be up there if it and no fault of their own, that still only finished 11th in the SEC, but that's still a really good recruiting class uh, from a team like Missouri to be able to bring in that much talent. Fast forwarding into 2022, they're currently ranked 18th in the country and 6th in the SEC. Um, You know, so they're, they're... Definitely uh, transitioning in the right direction. I got to watch their, you know, their, the highest rated kid in their class, Sam Horn, uh, over the weekend. He looks like one heck of a talent at the quarterback position. So they're bringing in talent from the state of Georgia as well, which we all know is a, a very talent-rich state. Uh, so I think this is a team that can get to maybe a bowl game by the skin of their teeth. They're going to have to pull off an upset somewhere, in my opinion, if they're able to get over that 7-win uh, DK win total. I don't see that happening, so I would bet the under when it comes to the Missouri Tigers.
1: All right, let's go over to... Ole Miss, who we have ranked at thirty-one, and we knew it wouldn't be boring. Ole Miss opened up one and four before winning four of five down the stretch. Uh, The Rebels lost three games in which they scored thirty-five plus points, so uh, the defense was not good last year. DK has them at seven and a half. We have them at seven and five. Favorite to win eight, talent edges in seven. So, what do we think of Ole Miss for twenty twenty-one, Nick?
0: I think it's all gonna, you know, be up to the defense and and. Uh, I've heard some positive buzz in camp. It sounds like the defense had a great showing in the last, uh, scrimmage. It, it sounds like, uh, some of the defensive players are, are, you know, really, uh, optimistic about their potential on that side of the ball. And, and so there's, you know, reason to think that it will be an improved unit, but it couldn't, you know, get much worse, quite honestly, of, you know, numbers wise, I mean, they ranked uh, 110th overall, they were in the 120s, you know, in, in a lot of categories, uh, 115th in yards per play allowed 115th in points per drive 121st success rate against 116th, Excuse me, an EPA per play defensively. So there's, you know, there's plenty of room for improvement. But there's a, a long way to go as well. And, and it's a talented unit. They rank 22nd in defensive roster strength. Um, They have, you know, a a top 10 linebacking core, according to our uh, strength ratings at at that position. They have a top 30 secondary. The defensive line only ranks 65th overall, 13th in the SEC. But, you know, they've they've got some, uh, you know, they move Sam Williams to kind of that hybrid uh, defensive end linebacker position. It'll be interesting to see what he can do. A guy like uh, Tavius Robinson, who's 6'8, 250, a transfer from Canada, who, you know, came in and, and played a little last year, played 400 snaps, but uh, you know has certainly an NFL uh, frame and, and could you know potentially take his game to another level but they lost some pretty productive guys as well. They lost three starters, and you you think, okay, if it was from a bad defense, losing guys who played a lot of snaps might not be a bad thing, but Ryder Anderson transferred to Indiana. Jacques Jones transferred to Kentucky. Uh, John Haynes also transferred to Indiana. So, you know, there, it, it's not like these guys uh, just didn't have the talent to, to play Power 5 football. They were scooped up. By some well-respected uh, teams, um, but you know they're they're. You wonder, okay, are they going to be able to, to fill those holes, uh, or did they already have guys lined up ready to go? Because they have been recruiting well. They are, uh, you know, building some depth. Hopefully, Otis Reese uh, was able to get eligible at, at the end of last season, a transfer from Georgia, plays nickel for them. Uh, you know. Stepped up and and the defense really improved once he was in the lineup at the end of the season. I've heard some really good things about Jake Springer, who was a transfer from Navy, who was super, super productive uh, in his first couple of years at at Navy and then sat out last season, didn't play at all. But it sounds like he's in the mix, uh, could be starting at safety this year for Ole Miss. Chance Campbell was uh, very productive at Maryland, was a, a starter there. You know, is he going to come in and and uh, add to that linebacker room, and, and you know, at the very least, place a guy like Jack West Jones? So, uh, I I I think that's the the biggest question um, because you know, offensively, Ole, Ole Miss could be among the very best in college football. I mean, Matt Corral, we've talked a little bit before. Uh, you know, I mentioned early in the show how I. I took an early stab at at Georgia and Oklahoma as uh, national championship futures. Well, I took a a similar stab at Matt Corral as a Heisman future. And, and of course he would have to uh, Ole Miss would have to overachieve, probably win 10 games for him to be in that uh, conversation, unless he just put up some ridiculous video game type numbers, had a season kind of similar. I've, made this reference before to uh, Robert Griffin III at Baylor when it was kind of like, man, he's he's doing something we just haven't really seen before, you know, prior to the the Lamar Jackson years. He's going to – Mac going to have to have that type of uh, season, and it'll, of course, of course, be very, very difficult to do when you're going up against talented defenses like Alabama and Texas A&M, but those numbers are, are certainly possible based on what we saw last year. I mean, Ole Miss was 12th in – overall team performance, seventh in passing team performance. They've got, in addition to Corral, Jerrion Ealy is a very, very exciting running back. Sounds like he's going to be used in a variety of ways this year out of the slot and, and, you know, just getting him the football. We've seen him, you know, break kick returns. We've seen long runs. So excited to see what he can do. uh, Now in his, his second year in this offense, third year as a college player, at receiver, we don't know exactly who the the go to guy is going to be to replace Elijah Moore, um, but they've got plenty of options. I mean, Braylon Sanders, if he can stay healthy, could be that guy. Uh, Dontario Drummond, Jonathan Mingo have both had uh, spots where they looked really good. John Reese Plumley, former starting quarterback, thousand yard rusher, seems like he's got uh, an inside track to starting in the slot there, which has been. Uh, You know, a a huge, huge position in the Ole Miss offense. They brought in transfers, Jalen Knox from Missouri, Ja'Ker Pearson from uh, Western Kentucky. They've got tight ends. Casey Kelly uh, looked like he could be a a valuable piece of of, uh, the passing offense. Chase Rogers has experience as well. They're deep, and they've recruited uh, some potential impact guys as well. Uh, the offensive line, very experienced, 53rd in performance rating last year, four guys return. They also added two transfers to, to the mix who could push for playing time or at least add some depth. So it's, you know, it's it's a, you can look at the explosiveness of the offense last year and how much is coming back and then think, okay, the defense has to get better and talk yourself into this being a top 25 team. I think if absolutely everything clicked into place and we got a significant year two bump where, you know, the second half of the season all Miss and especially the improvement uh, that we saw defensively when they held Indiana to 20 points in the bowl game and, you know, held Mississippi State to, to 24, even though that wasn't a great Mississippi State defense uh, or excuse me, offense. But if, if you look at that, you can talk yourself into maybe getting really excited about Ole Miss and, and thinking, hey, yeah, maybe maybe this is the surprise team. Maybe this is the team that actually could take down Alabama. They've got you know one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming back. Texas A&M, that's a question mark for them. The offensive line is coming back. Texas A&M, that's a question mark for them. Maybe you convince yourself that, that this team could uh, challenge for that number two spot in the SEC West. I, at certain times in the spring – was starting to to feel that way a little bit. But I just look at that defense still, and, and, man, they have so far to go, I think, to get to that level. And, you know, you say, oh, they're one year away. But, uh, you know, are they really because this probably is Matt Corral's last year? That's going to then be, be a little bit of an issue. But I, I just think that, that, you know, as excited as I wanted to be about Ole Miss, Getting over seven and a half, it's going to be tough. I mean, we do have them favored in eight. We do have talent edges in seven. We have the stats model, likes likes Ole Miss, you know, decently well, has them favored in eight. So they're right. Our projections are right there on that seven and a half, adding up all the projected win percentages. It, it comes in a bit lower and, and looks more like seven and five than eight and four. Or Yeah, seven and four other than uh, – I don't know. Whatever. it is. How many games? They? Seven by five, and five. Nine, eight five, yeah. eight and four, uh, and that you know there there are some tricky, not necessarily gimmies in the non-conference. They should beat Louisville. They should beat Tulane. They should beat Liberty. But would we be absolutely shocked if they lost one of those three? You know, I, I probably wouldn't. You know, Louis, Louisville's been uh, two years ago. They were they were quite good last year. Uh, they, they gave some teams some trouble at times as well. Liberty, as Malik Willis, one of the best players in all of college football. They knocked off Virginia Tech last year, went or knocked off Coastal Carolina too. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I think, possible that Ole Miss puts a lot of it together and really does make a run at eight, nine, maybe if everything goes perfectly, 10 wins but I could also see some scenarios where the defense really doesn't improve that much, you know, maybe no uh, go-to receiver steps up and, and, you know, maybe the offensive line, even though it's experienced doesn't really uh, prove to be better than a a top 50 type unit. You lose games uh, that are, are coin flips against LSU and, and, you know, get blown out maybe by Alabama, even though you have that extra week to prepare, but You know, I I see Ole Miss as having a wider range of outcomes than I really kind of hoped for early on to where five wins is still a
2: possibility.
0: I don't think that they'll miss out on a bowl game. But again, you know, it's it's hard to win a lot of games in the SEC West, especially then you you add that you've got some tricky non-conference opponents should be able to take – care business against vanderbilt tennessee what are they going to look like that game's on the road i mean it's it's i i i can now now as much as i wanted to talk myself into Ole miss being a top 20 type team i'm also trying to talk Ole miss into you know finding all these ways it could go wrong so i i you know i i'm glad we don't have a a, a real
2: um You
0: know hard uh, one way or the other what our numbers think, but I think right now I am happy that I'm on the under the seven and a half But I certainly could see this being an eight or better win team uh, If if some things really line up
1: Xavier, what do you think? This is a hard team to figure out really really good offense Really rough defense Uh, SEC schedule again, but there's a lot of talent on this roster. So they're kind of hard to pin down
3: yeah, I mean, I, I'm betting over. I think it's pretty obvious that you bet over with this team. I, I don't see why they can't win eight games. I, I don't see on the schedule where they lose more than four. I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, you talked about the, non-schedule, uh, the, the non-conference schedule, Nick. I think they be able to blow the doors off of Louisville in game one. I don't think Louisville's defense can hold up to that offense. And I think that's going to be the, 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 the common theme with them all year. Is I don't think there's many offenses in the SEC, maybe two in the entire SEC, that they'll be playing this year, excuse me that can go with them in a shootout. I also think that there's not that many defenses in the SEC that are going to just shut them down week in and week out. You know, you think about an LSU team, I, ex- I expect the LSU defense to be better, but that offense is still abysmal. I, I don't see, you know, is Max Johnson going to take the next step this year? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, and if he doesn't, then you have another revolving door at the quarterback position that hasn't figured itself out by the time that they played them in Oct- on October 23rd. So that's a big question mark. You know, I think, you know, Auburn, I genuinely think might be one might be a team that just has won't figure it out all season. You know, I think offensively, they're going to be rather in the middle of the pack. I think defensively, they're probably going to be a little bit, you know, they're going to be in the middle of the pack as well. And if you don't have anything, if you don't have an offense that can run with them and you don't have a defense that can slow them down, then you're not going to be able to play with 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 Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this year. I think Matt Corral is going to be a guy who ends up putting himself in, in the contention for a top 15 pick as a quarterback this year after this season. I don't. I don't dislike your early you know, thought about Matt Corral being a dark horse Heisman contender. I think he's going to definitely be somebody that gets a lot of buzz in that regard, especially if he, if he can't go into Alabama and win that game. I don't think that'll happen. However, if he were able, able to pull something off like that, I think you're absolutely right. He has to have an RG3-like season to win in the Heisman. But who's to say he can't do that? I think with the offensive weapons that they do have, and obviously with Lane Kiffin being his coach, it's more than possible. Uh, I just don't see for, – for me, when I look at their schedule, seven and a half for me is a little low. Because of the fact that I think the rest of the SEC West, for the first time in a while, is in a very is in a a flux where I think you really have Alabama, A and M, and then everybody else. And when I really think about the top, you know, the top tier of the SEC West, there is no Auburn to add into that list. There is no Mississippi State to add into that list. LSU is a huge question mark. I know they're ranked coming to, into the year, but there's still a massive question mark after the season that they had last year. And it allows a year that we've talked, that I've been alluding to all uh, all episode, where you have a team like Ole Miss to creep in there and win nine games because the rest of the SEC West just isn't, you know, ready for the taking of, of a season where an Ole Miss offense goes crazy, um, you know. And, and yes, they could actually lose the Liberty uh overlooking them and trying to get to that Texas A&M and game, excuse me. That's happening the following week. Uh but that's just a really tough stretch for them. Now, I think that they'll have to manage really well to get to that 8 or 9 win margin. I think they'll do so. I mean, they have LSU at Auburn, Liberty and AM. They ha- that's probably their hard that is the hardest part of the schedule. And that's going to be the hardest part to manage the the highs and lows of that schedule, especially if they come out and they and they're only a one-loss team going into that two-week span between Liberty and AM where you're really going to be asking them to stay focused against a Liberty team that we all know is an up can upset, you know, we've seen them upset pretty much anybody that they've played, and then also bring the same energy the very next week to upset an AM team. So I think this is an eight-win ball club. Easily, I'd be shocked if they did any worse than eight and four. For me, that that would be a that would be a, a bad season in Ole Miss's respects for me if they went low, low lower than eight and four. With the fact that you look at the rest of the SEC West and you go, Alabama and A and M are your only two deadlocking guarantees. Everybody else is a mal- is an amalgamation of who knows what's going on. LSU could be really good. They could also be really bad. Auburn could be good. They could also be awful. And, and you're looking at you know, what you can hang your hat on. And Ole Miss's offense is probably the only other guarantee that I have in my head outside of Alabama and a and in the SEC West. And so uh, anything less than 8-4 and four for them would be a bad season.
1: All right, let's go over uh, to the next squad, who is South Carolina. And we have them ranked 85, one of the worst teams in the SEC. Not dead last, but uh, getting close. And time ran out for Will Muschamp. He was fired in the midst of the two and eight season for the Gamecocks. They lost the last six games, five of those by seventeen or more. Their DK total for this year is four. Uh, we also have them four and eight favorite twin four. Talent edges in five, and it looks like it's going to be a long year for South Carolina, Nick.
0: Yeah, I mean the the early numbers don't give a, a lot of reason to be optimistic that it's going to be a very quick turnaround. I mean two and eight was obviously very, very difficult last year playing an all SEC schedule very very difficult. Of course South Carolina basically has a guaranteed loss on its schedule at the end and non-conference play uh, in in normal year. so I guess there's you know not a, a a huge huge difference but looking at this year's schedule, FCS opponent, that should be a win. Uh, they do play. Some sneaky uh, group of five teams in, in East Carolina. Seems like they're a little bit on the rise. Troy, you never really know what you're going to get exactly, but uh, could could jump up and, and bite somebody. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the the numbers last year were, were rough, and it's definitely pulling down South Carolina's uh, preseason power rating. They ranked 106th overall in team performance, 86th on offense, 107th. On defense. This was a really, really uh, bad defense last year. 119th against the pass, 115th against the run. And, you know, there's there's reason, uh, or, or excuse me, there's, there's not a whole lot of reason to think that they're going to improve that much, especially they lost some really talented defensive players. J.C. Horn was the eighth overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, they also lost his you know, fellow starting corner, uh, Israel McQuamu, who was a six-round pick. Linebacker Ernest Jones went in the third. So, uh, you know, that that's some pretty, uh, you know, top-tier talent. One thing that Will Muschamp did really well was recruit, you know, guys in the back seven of, of the defense. And they lost a few other starters on the defensive side to the transfer pool. John Dixon and uh, Jamie Robinson Transferred to Penn State and Florida State, respectively. Those guys started at corner and safety, respectively. Uh, on the defensive line, they lost uh, a few potential impact guys, including an, an interior guy, Kier Thomas, who we expect will be a starter uh, or at least you know major contributor at Florida State. They also lost Marquis Scott to Georgia Tech. They lost Joseph Anderson to Purdue. So it's not like these guys are are just transferring, you know, to a lot of FCS. Uh, You know places or or things like that these are guys who are in demand at other power five programs and and so you know depth was already a little bit of an issue south carolina recruited really well under muschamp a lot of top 20 top 25 type classes before uh the transition class this year i think you know according to our numbers was 60th um but top 20 in the sec it means there are a lot of teams you know ranked higher than you as as far as raw talent goes. So when you're losing guys to the NFL, you're also losing guys to the transfer portal. That's that's difficult. And so it's a a bit of a hole for Shane Beamer to try to climb out of. Uh but there are reasons I think to be optimistic. On the defensive side, the the defensive line actually despite those losses should be a strength. Uh Kingsley and Agbury is, is an all-SEC type guy and, and one that I know uh, some NFL talent evaluators are, are already getting really excited about his future. Uh, Zach Pickens and Jabari Ellis are returning starters on the interior. Jordan Birch was a five-star guy that, that uh, Muschamp uh, was able to sign two years ago. Looks like he's going to fit in on the other edge. So that's about as good of a you know, front four as you'll find anywhere in the country. It's just, you know, the depth behind it is, is a tiny bit shaky. I mean, there I'm, I'm really excited to see what Jordan Strachan does uh, after transferring in from uh, Georgia State last year. They've got, you know, they've got some other guys in the mix as well, but that's at least a building block on the defensive side of the ball. But the farther back you move, it gets worse and worse i mean you know the they linebacker they're they're decent top 40 uh or excuse me they're 67th in, in linebacker uh ratings top 40 in the front seven so that's 13th in the sec in, in the linebacker core and then take another small step back in the secondary where they rank 75th in our roster strength numbers 13th in the sec they're going to, you know, need Cam Smith, who's a little bit banged up, to lock down one of those corner spots. They're going to probably start a newcomer and Marcellus Dial, a JUCO transfer, at the other corner. Uh, beyond that, you know, that that cornerback position specifically is very young and inexperienced. There's more experience at safety and at nickelback. They brought in uh, David Spaulding, a, a transfer from. Uh, Georgia Southern, who's likely to start at nickel. But, you know, R.J. Roderick is, is really the only full-time starter back in in that secondary. And then, you know, a couple of guys mixed in here and there who played uh, some snaps. I mean, Jalen Foster played 340 snaps last year. But still, not not necessarily what you're hoping to put on the field to stop some of the elite offenses that we could see in in the sec so uh that's a little bit of a concern on the offensive side of the ball there's i think more to like especially the running back position kevin harris was outstanding last year uh lloyd is back from an acl tear uh looked like he was you know had the very the potential to be the starter over harris last year as a true freshman if he were healthy uh but so that that position they're in really really good shape but lloyd is coming off an injury Harris is uh, dealing with an injury right now. He's had a back issue that that, uh, has sort of limited him in fall camp, and backs are definitely tricky, so you have to wonder uh, what he's going to be like. Luke Doty, talented uh, quarterback, really athletic. They wanted to find ways to get him on the field last year, and he eventually ended up starting two games. But he's got uh, a foot issue, a foot sprain, injured early in August, He's questionable to doubtful in week one. So, is it going to be Jason Brown, a transfer from the FCS level? Is it going to be a true freshman in Colton Gartier? Or they brought Zeb Nolan off of the coaching staff. He still has some eligibility after being Trey Lance's uh, backup at North Dakota State last year, former Iowa State uh, transfer ended up starting, what, six games or or seven games in the spring season for North Dakota State last year. So, uh, you know, Beamer said the thing about he started games a lot sooner or, you know, a lot more recently than anybody else we have. So it's going to be interesting. Is he actually going to be in the mix? But so that's, you know, with Doty's health in question, with Harris's health in question, I think Lloyd is fully recovered. But still, you know, you always want to see how a guy actually looks on the field. Uh, after an injury like that. But it seems like the, the real strength of the roster or the potential strength of the roster at South Carolina still has questions. So that, that makes me concerned that, uh, though I did like the Beamer higher, I, I agree that this year definitely could be uh, a rough first go, that maybe this is a year zero situation instead of a, a real year one situation. The win total from DraftKings is, is reasonable, especially when you take into account that there are three non-conference games that South Carolina should be favored in, uh, and they get to play Vanderbilt. So it's, it's, you know, four wins is a reasonable goal. Uh, but you know, we see East Carolina and, and Troy as, you know, far from sure things. Both of those teams are, are, uh, you know, single-digit underdogs, pretty pretty small single-digit underdogs to South Carolina. So it would not shock me at all if they lose one of those games. And then Vanderbilt, who we'll talk about in a second, I think is, is one of those teams that I have a uh, fairly long-term positive outlook. This year, not so much, but that's not an automatic loss either. So uh, our win projections have South Carolina just over four at 4.11. Uh, we do expect two. Uh, wins in conference play, so that would be Vanderbilt, and then you know, pick off a uh, uh, Missouri or a Kentucky or a Tennessee. That's certainly possible. So, five wins is on the table, I think. But I think that three and nine uh, is a lot more likely than five and seven. So, I actually, if I were to, to lean one side or the other, uh, would, would prefer the under the four for
1: South Carolina. I mean, uh, Xavier, South Carolina. The the roster is good, but, you know, like Nick said, uh, lots of guys coming back off injuries, a new coaching staff underperformed last year. It's hard to find the silver lining
3: here. Yeah, I mean, e- even with all of that said, I think, they, I think this is still possibly a 3-4 win ball club this year. Um, I would bet the under, just because at the end of the day, when you're looking at their schedule, to say that they're going to win four games is a stretch. Um, it's not, you know... Or, excuse me, to win five games is a stretch uh, for them to go over. However, I mean, you expect them to beat Eastern Illinois. You expect them to beat Car- I'm sorry, East Carolina. You expect them to beat Troy at home. And you expect them to beat Vanderbilt. Can South Carolina find an upset somewhere else in the season? I mean, yeah. I don't know where they're going to necessarily do that. Maybe it's at Tennessee. I think, you know, we'll talk about Tennessee here in a second. You know, I, I think that that's more of a, that's a closer game than we give respect to. And South Carolina typically plays Tennessee fairly closely. Uh, so maybe, we, you know, that maybe that's how they get over the four-win margin. Um, and maybe they get how they how they get to the five. You know, maybe you catch a Missouri team down the stretch at the end of the year. You're playing for everything. They're playing for nothing. And you catch them slipping. You know, and, and obviously, South Carolina is always going to put their best foot forward that against you know the likes of Georgia and Florida that that, that best foot forward doesn't necessarily mean anything in, in the grand scheme of a win but like we saw a couple of years ago they went to Stanford Stadium and they put their best foot forward and they got a win so you know there's always the possibility of upsets on you know with, with a team like South Carolina who is going to at the very least have talented kids if that talent can come together for one upset that wouldn't surprise me that's something that they kind of you know they, they, they can do every now and then my only big my biggest concern, though, is the fact that I just don't know where, you know, in my opinion, where the, the stops are going to come from. That defense has got a long way to get back to, the, you know, the defense of old where even when they came to Georgia and were able to upset Georgia, like Nick talked about, they had a couple of, you know, they had a first, first top 10 pick overall corner on one end. They had a other, uh, another corner on the other end who was who got drafted. They had players on that team that you were like, OK, I can see the talent level. I can see where this guy is going to be, you know, a, a Sunday player. There's not many guys on the defense now that you can even point to and say that confidently without you know smirking a little bit. And that's the problem is that they don't have that those studs that you typically see from South Carolina sprinkled in, even when they are really like an average ball club. You know, so I, I think this year, like you guys have alluded to, is going to be a re- is going to be a building year for them. Uh, you know, they've got to get back there on the recruiting trail. They haven't really brought in a great recruiting class in, in a couple of years now. And it really shows, especially at the quarterback position, which is, has been a revolving door for at least four years now. I mean, Connor Shaw, I think, was the last time they had a two year starter. Um, so I, they've got some work to do on the recruiting trail. It was really bad in 2021 with them, you know, probably, it was probably due to the coaching change, uh, with them finishing 79th nationally. That's awful. For an SEC program, that's just. Uh, downright terrible. They didn't bring in a single four star. I, I, I don't know how that happens. Uh, they finished dead last in the sec. Yes, that is below Vanderbilt in the sec in 2021. However, they look like they're rebounding already having a, a class in uh, in the top 25 in 2022, finishing, it uh, looks like right now, they're currently eighth in, in the uh, in uh, the 2022 class in the SEC as well. So it's looking like they're getting back to, you know, the, the the South Carolina of old where they're able to recruit their state a little bit better. And obviously the surrounding states, obviously it hasn't helped over the last five to seven years that Clemson has become the powerhouse that it is. Because let's be honest, Jadamon Clowney, when it went to Clemson, with the way that they're playing nowadays. It's just, that, it's just that kind of what has kind of happened in that state. Clemson is now the recruiting power and South Carolina is not anymore. And so they've really struggled to kind of bring in and kind of, you know, adjust to that being the new reality that they're in. I think, like I said, I think you go under here with South Carolina just to be safe uh, just because trying to find five wins on that schedule is really tough to do. Um, I would love, if it was, if this was five or excuse me, if this was three, I would say bet the overall, uh, immediately uh, but with it being four and you having to almost say that this is almost a bowl team I'm not confident with that and I will go with you under
1: All right, let's go on to one of our favorite teams to talk about on this podcast, tennessee Uh, we have them ranked 45 overall and after two no start jimmy pruitt led the ball to a three and seven season including six losses in the last seven games and he lost his job in January for off the field reasons. We have them at six and six. The DK number is also six. Favorite twin five. Talent edges in nine, which just describes Tennessee Two eighty a T here, Nick. Uh, underperformed for a while. So what do we think about the volunteers for 2021?
0: It's I'm I'm a little bit I, I'm kind of fascinated by Tennessee. I have no idea. What to expect? Because uh, in in some instances, and yeah, the talent edge, you know, would make you think that they're going to be uh, the more talented team in in the vast majority of their games, and and really only one of those is particularly close. They have a less than a one point talent edge uh, against Ole Miss, and and you know five and a half against Kentucky. Uh, a lot of the others are, are eight or more. I mean, against Pitt, against. Uh, South Carolina, double digits against Missouri, uh, 17 against Vanderbilt. And then, of course, in the non-conference, other than Pitt, you would think are automatic wins. Bowling Green, an FCS opponent in Tennessee Tech, and then South Alabama. Uh, But there is so much turnover. You mentioned that Jeremy Pruitt is out. Josh Heupel is in. Complete turnover. philosophy change i mean you know going from a defensive guy to an offensive guy and not just an offensive guy but the one who's overseen uh the fastest paced offense in the country uh a a, you know guy that likes to throw the ball around a lot uh they they run it too but i mean they're moving fast uh and just trying to get as many plays as possible trying to put up as many points and as quickly as possible and then In addition to to that, you've got roster turnover. I mean, the quarterback position looks like it's still, I mean, maybe down to a two-man race between a couple of transfers, Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker, but Harrison Bailey was a highly rated guy uh, who got three starts last year at Tennessee, so I wouldn't write him off just yet. Uh, They've got transfers coming in all over the defense because they've had, by my count, Twenty nine guys enter the transfer portal uh, since last season, including, I mean, well over half a dozen uh, starters at every position. cornerback, uh, quarterback, excuse me, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker. I, I think the only, uh, you know, the secondary is the only one that didn't actually lose a starter to the transfer portal. But Bryce Thompson left early for the NFL, ends up going undrafted. So that, you know, hurts you there. So it's going to be a completely different Tennessee team on the field. It's a different program off the field. They're dealing with some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff with the NCAA. Don't know how that exactly is going to shake out, what, if any, impact that's going to have on the field. But they've got some talent to work with. I would expect that Heupel's going to have a quarterback ready to play, maybe two. Uh, Milton is, you know, a – Maybe ten years ago was your NFL prototypical quarterback. What you would what you would hope, uh, you know, a first round NFL quarterback would look like six five, two forty five rocket for an arm. Hendon Hooker brings an athletic element. He was a a dangerous runner at Virginia Tech. There are a couple of receivers, I think, that that you know, have some real promise. Vilas Jones, who was at USC a few years ago, uh, was a starter here last year. Jalen Hyatt, who I I think I might have uh, the highest ceiling of of any of them, pretty excited to see what he can do in this new offense. But still, I mean, a lot of unknowns across the board. The offensive line has two really highly rated guys, and Cade Mays and Darnell Wright, three starters return, really four guys who got a lot of playing time, but that unit – uh, wasn't as, as big of a problem last year as it had been in the couple of years prior, but still ranked outside of the top 50 in our O-line uh, performance ratings. Don't really know who's going to be the running back. Jamari Spall is the most experienced, but he only had 50 snaps last year. A lot of other guys are, are newcomers. Not you know, Just don't really know what this team is going to look like. Could have at least two starters uh, who are transfers on defense, and and then a lot of guys stepping up and and playing a bigger role than they did for a unit that last year really underperformed, 83rd in defensive team performance, 100, excuse me, 117th in passing uh, defensive team performance. So I think Tennessee is going to probably be in a lot of shootouts. I think they're probably going to give up a lot of points in SEC play, uh, and I think they're going to score as much as possible in, in Week One against Bowling Green, uh, in Week Three against Tennessee Tech. Pitt's kind of a, a you know always plays pretty tough defense, but uh, I, I think that we are going to see Josh Heupel try to to uh, you know give us the the very uh, best Tennessee offense as as possible out of the gate. And so I actually, uh, we haven't done our, our week zero preview much, uh, much, uh, much yet. Our week one preview, but our numbers are really high on Tennessee against Bowling Green. We have them as over a, almost a forty-one point favorite. I think I think Heupel and Tennessee are going to try to score seventy against Bowling Green just to try to have something to build on, uh, you know, for the for the rest of the year because it's going to be it's going to be tough in SEC play, and there are winnable games. Obviously, Vanderbilt you know, if the Tennessee offense is going to potentially put up numbers that, that Hypo is used to at UCF, that game against Ole Miss could be, you know, <laughs> the, both teams in the fifties, who mm-hmm. knows South Carolina, as we just talked about Missouri played pretty poor defense last year as well. So I think there are absolutely some opportunities for games that Tennessee can win. There, there is a, a bit of a favorable element to this schedule. Um, and I think that the offense, actually, when we look back at the numbers, points per game, yards, all that sort of traditional stuff, probably will be one of the most improved in the country. But are they actually going to be efficient? Are they actually going to be uh, you know, playing at a, a really high level uh, when you look beyond just the traditional box score? I, I don't necessarily know. But I'm fascinated to watch Tennessee. The, the win total from DraftKings at six seems seemed a little high. I, w- I was expecting five and a half, and then I'm, I would be tempted to go the over because I do think uh, that all four non-conference games are winnable and three are, are basically uh, guaranteed wins. So I, I thought this team would be able to get to five and then have a couple of, of shots to get to, to six, but... At six, that's just you know too close uh, as usual to our projection. We see six point three wins, three wins in conference play, six and six season. Uh, I, I I think I would rather be on the under rather than the over. But if this offense you know comes along quickly, they could be a dangerous team and, and maybe knock off a team that you wouldn't expect because Heupel now has some really really talented players to work with. And they're going to be playing at a faster pace. Going to be, uh, you know, stressing teams in, in ways that we weren't uh, used to seeing Tennessee stress opponents in in recent years. So I'm really interested to see what Tennessee looks like on the field. I'm excited to watch them this year. Uh, I think a bowl game is is certainly possible, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if this team was you know five and seven uh, as well, and and just barely misses out.
1: Xavier, what do you think of Tennessee? And I know uh, you have many opinions here. So, uh, new coaching staff, all that good stuff. What are you thinking for the volunteers for 2021?
3: Well, if, uh, if for the people listening right now, I am the Tennessee trash can from about, I think it was two years ago that they used this uh, for defensive plays, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think that's that what they're going to they got a that was the go turnover trash
0: can. That was, that was, uh, that's a relic from the Butch uh, Jones era. And, oh,
3: they, they should and, keep and, it there. Yep, yep. That was one of the worst ideas in sports. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what their year is going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty trash. I, I don't see them win I, outside of Vanderbilt. I'll be honest, I don't see them winning outside of maybe Vanderbilt or South Carolina in another SEC game. I, I just don't. There's gonna be a really up and down year for them. Inconsistency is gonna be the word of the uh, of the year for for Tennessee. I think this is gonna be a team that starts off three and zero. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel confident against them uh, against Pitt. I know Nick does. I think my boy Kenny Pick is gonna go down there and have some fun times. Uh, oh, well, Nick does not. Excuse me. Uh, let me let me not put words in his mouth. But I, I think this is a team that can go start off two and one. And then they have to go to Florida and to Missouri. And I think that that's where their schedule can really take a a really, you know, the the, the turn of their season can really go downhill. Because, yes, where Missouri is not necessarily a juggernaut, we just talked about them trending in the right direction, but not there yet. If they were to somehow compile a loss and and lose to Missouri and then somehow lose to South Carolina, they might not win another game until November. And that, you know, that, that game against Missouri is the first week of October. They could not win another game, could not, excuse me, win another game until November. And what I'm talking about may be November 6th against Kentucky or November 20th against South Alabama. Either one. It could just be that kind of year for them because that September 25th uh, from Florida to October 23rd, so about a month span, they will be playing Florida, Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Alabama. Three of which, in my opinion, are guaranteed losses, two of which are toss-ups. And very well possible that they lose those two toss-up games, depending on the kind of confidence and the kind of you know, and if they figure it out. The quarterback situation is a little weird for me because once again, I feel like the the feel like Tennessee brass is like divided on this. I think you know everybody wants Harrison Bailey to be the guy, but I'm not sure, sure if he is yet. Um, you know, he obviously he comes in with the most hype around him, obviously they bring in Henda Hooker and Joe Milton, both guys with You know, far more time played than uh, Harrison Bailey has, and and and, you know should should account for something. But I feel like half of Tennessee wants to see you know a a seasoned veteran in there that's going to just you know help this be a bridge season to Harrison Bailey once he becomes a junior, or they want to see Harrison Bailey get thrown into the fire and allow him to kind of figure it out by himself and become the guy that they all want him to be. And not surprising that of course Tennessee is divided on this situation as most things at Tennessee, but. That alone, I think, shows the kind of season that this could really be. Nick called it fun. It's going to be very fun. I I think it's going to be a very eventful season as a Tennessee fan. Um, You know, there's a couple of Tennessee YouTubers that you guys should definitely watch this year if you want some more entertainment regarding their football season. It's going to be, you know, and and what also with Tennessee this year that really concerns me is the fact that for once they don't have, you know, I kind of talked about it with South Carolina, but Tennessee to a greater extent, Nick, you know, you hit it on the head. Wasn't it last year that they, you know, before the whole COVID situation, they had a talent edge in Oklahoma, going into last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't, I don't oh, remember that specifically, but I mean, they, you know, they were
0: really trending in the right way, talent wise. I mean, in, in our recruiting strength rankings, their 2020 class was 11th, 2019 mm-hmm. was 13. Uh, they've they've had, you know, talented, talented rosters. I don't think Oklahoma, but I think they might have been you know, uh, talent edges in in 10 games
3: or or whatever. Right. And obviously we know how that season went. That's my biggest concern with Tennessee is now the talent isn't necessarily that high. Yes, they have talent edges in nine games, so obviously 10 to nine is not that big of a difference. But when you look at it from a grand scheme of things, I think the gap between their talent maybe in the past two or three years versus their talent now against a lot of the teams that are going to be playing this year isn't this sizable gap where you go, okay, they probably have seven and nine guys that are probably play on Sunday, but can they put it all together? Now it's like, they might have two to four and they still may not be able to put it together. And that's just a really concerning development that's happening with Tennessee, which if they don't write this ship, they will become a Florida State if they're not already there, where they have all this talent, but eventually that well will dry up if you're not winning games and you'll go into your next season thinking, okay, all that talent that we had and didn't capitalize on is gone now. Now we've got to just work with what we got, and that's not nearly as much as what we had. So that Tennessee has got to right the ship here. I think I like the Josh Heupel hire. Um, I think this is a guy who is going to, at the very least, develop young talent. I think that he has an, he has a clear set of goals of what he wants to hit at Tennessee, and I think him coming in with a plan is a good thing for them because I feel like they've been in a very haphazard situation for the last four to five years. So I, I like the hire, and I like you know, what he may be able to do at the university. But the one thing he's got to do is get on that recruiting show hard and be able to put it together. They have had so much ridiculous amount of talent over the last couple of years that has not done anything close to what they should be doing. And obviously that's not going to happen again this year. I say if you're a betting person to go ahead and bet the under on Tennessee winning six games, I think four to five is where they sit and they'll miss out on the bowl season once again.
1: All right, let's go over to the Aggies the number eight ranked team in the nation, but four in the sec because we've got, uh, Bama and Georgia and Florida here, uh, and a 52 to 24 loss to Bama in the second game of the season was the only blemish for them last year. Uh, they capped a nine and one run with a 41, 27 win over UNC in their bowl game. Uh, their DK numbers, nine and a half. We have them at 10 and two, uh, their favorite 2-11, talent edges in 10, and I'm in Aggie country now, Nick. And That is where I live. I'm right in the thick of it. So don't like that so much, but what do we think of the Aggies for 2021?
0: We're, we're pretty high on, on Texas A&M, and there are two obvious uh, areas of concern. The quarterback position, just because anytime you get a new starter uh, and, and doesn't have a track record you know, with a lot of playing time, just a little bit of a, you know, you, you wonder a little bit. Is Haynes King or uh, sounds like Zach Calzada is still in the mix? Uh, is one of those two guys going to be able to, you know, have Texas A&M playing at not just a top 10 level, but have them the, you know, legitimate top challenger to Alabama, have them maybe in a position to make a run at a college football playoff. They thought they you know should have been there last year we were very very close uh, other than that you know big loss to alabama early on they were playing about as well as anybody at the end of the season so uh you know quarterback being that number one question the number two is offensive line four starters are gone from what was one of the you know best units in college football and, and you know they they ranked 14th in our performance rating last year but uh, they were you know, among the most talented units in the country. Only one guy was drafted. Dan Moore Jr. was a, a fourth rounder, but they lost Ryan McCullum, who's an undrafted free agent, Jared Hawker and Carson Green uh, from the center to the, the right tackle. All those guys were undrafted free agents as well. They do bring back one of the very best in college football in Kenyon Green, uh, who I, I – thought early on sounded like was going to bump out to left tackle. Now it sounds like maybe he's going to uh, come back in and, and play guard. We'll have to see how that shakes out. But, you know, if you're only going to return one, he was probably the best of the bunch has the highest ceiling, maybe, a, a, you know, somebody that has first round or, or early round potential uh, at, at either tackle or guard, but they're going to have to figure it out around him. Brought in Jameer Johnson uh, who played a lot of, at Tennessee, uh, they've got, you know, Luke Matthews comes from a, a long line of, of uh, good offensive linemen. He's a little bit banged up, it sounds like. But, um, you know, they, they have talent to work with, not quite at the same level of, of you know, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, but it's a unit that ranks 11th in average 247 rating uh, from uh, 247 sports and actually top five. Uh, in average rivals' rating, so uh, they, they've really, you know, according to rivals, brought in some elite, elite talent there. But top thirty in our adjusted for experience and production numbers, twenty seventh uh, in, in offensive line uh, roster strength. But the rest of the offense, I mean, they've got some of my very favorite players, some of the best players uh, in, in college football at their respective positions. Jalen Watermeyer, I think, is a top five tight end. Isaiah Spiller is a, a very, very solid running back, but the depth at that position for them is
2: uh, about as
0: good as it gets. And Isaiah Smith is listed, uh, I believe, uh, officially, at least most of the, the uh, offseason, was listed as a running back. He's really more of a receiver, but a guy can do both things. But Devin A. Chain, one of the fastest players in college football, and then uh, five-star freshman L.G. Johnson – excuse me, L.J. Johnson – uh, they're they're deep and incredibly talented. How are they going to utilize the receiver position? Again, they they've got plenty of talent there. Chase Lane was a starter last year. Uh, Caleb Chapman had a big game before a season ending injury. Demond Demoss only played 15 snaps, but he's a former five star guy has a, a just incredibly high ceiling. Uh, just have to you know see him on the field and, and see if he can put it together. But I think there's enough on this offense. Uh, especially from a talent standpoint. I mean, they're 17th overall in in roster strength, only 31st in offensive roster strength, but that's because of that adjustment for experience and production that's bringing down sort of the the quarterback uh, numbers. But I think the skill position players, you could stack up against any team in the country and feel pretty good about how Texas uh, A&M is going to be able to compete there. Defensively, you know, pretty solid unit last year. They were 24th in team performance. They were 12th against the run. And the front seven is, uh, you know, they 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 certainly lost some talent. Guys like Bobby Brown, Buddy Johnson. Both of those players were drafted. Anthony Hines went undrafted, signed as a free agent. But uh, you know, Jaden Peavy, Demarvin Lille, two of the better interior defensive line. they the Leal moves around a bit,
2: but uh, two of the better
0: interior defensive linemen. In the SEC, uh, Aaron Hansford has played a lot at linebacker. So, you know, build upon those three guys with uh, guys like Michael Clemens, uh, guys, you know, Tyree Johnson,
2: uh, a, a ton of
0: talent that they've brought in in recent years, like Shamar Turner, uh, Tamise Adelehi this year, both of which are, are 98 rated players according to 247 Sports. That defensive line specifically ranked sixth. In average 247 sports rating. And then the secondary really should be the, the strength of the team. I mean, they're top six defensive line, but they're top five secondary. And and you could argue, you know, maybe maybe might move up a, a spot or two. All five guys uh, who started last year return, plus uh, Keldrick Carper, who was, uh, uh, you know, played 339 snaps last season. So they're very deep at every uh, defensive back. Position. They're also very, very talented. Top two. Uh, They rank second in average 247 rating uh, among defensive backs. So this is a talented team. You just wonder a little bit about the quarterback position and the offensive line. They've got a manageable first half of the schedule. Uh, Kent State, great offense, but nothing that that Texas A&M should have any trouble beating. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Colorado, you know, is is a Power 5 program, had some success last year, but not anything, you know, super exciting. And then New Mexico, one of the, you know, triple digits in, in most talent categories there. So you expect 3-0, and easy in the non-conference, find your quarterback, find your five best offensive linemen, and then get ready for SEC play. And it's not necessarily you ease in against Arkansas and Mississippi State but those are you know, two of the teams that, that are arguably in that bottom half uh, of the SEC. So I think the schedule sets up really well in those first five games to answer any of the questions that you have about Texas A&M personnel-wise. And then we'll see how they stack up against Alabama on October 9th. So this is a, a team that I absolutely think has room to grow if they find that quarterback Right now Haynes King is the highest rated of the two. He's just an eighty-one in our individual player ratings. That's because he just, you know, we only wait for experience. He's at eighty-seven percent of that two four seven rating where he was almost a ninety-four. So he's still got nineteen points that he could add, whether it's this year or throughout the course of his career. But if he puts up, uh, or the same goes for Calzada if he wins the job, but three hundred yards against Kent State, three hundred yards against uh, New Mexico, maybe he's SEC freshman of the year. By the time they go to Alabama or host Alabama, rather, you know, he might be an 87 rated player. And at that point, then you're thinking, okay, you know, that, that quarterback position is uh, not a weakness anymore. It's not even really an unknown anymore. And, and Texas A&M maybe can win the SEC or or get into Uh, college football playoff with a redshirt freshman quarterback with four starters on the offensive line because of the way uh, that that schedule sets up. So I'm, I'm pretty high on Texas A&M. We expect 9.6 wins on average, uh, 5.74 in conference play, just, you know, the standard uh, round those up to 10 and two and six and two. And and I think that Texas A&M absolutely uh, has the talent on hand and, and maybe more importantly, the schedule, to get to 10 wins this
1: year. Xavier, uh, tell me that you don't think that they're going to get to 10 wins this year.
3: Scott, I can't tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Hey. Come on,
1: you're supposed to be the pessimist. Pessimistic guy here. Come on. Okay. I'll it.
3: tell you this much. Okay. Maybe Haynes King is a flop, and then they end up with only eight wins. Sure. That's not like care. Yeah. Possible. Go. However, even, even, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to dump on that a little bit because even with their schedule, there's no way that they don't at least bare minimum get to nine.
1: They're good. Yeah.
3: They are. You know, yeah. And you look at their scheduling, not only do they have a very easy schedule outside of Alabama in their first eight games, but six out of those eight games, are at home or in Texas? Excuse me. So I'm going to call them at home. Uh, so uh, you really look at it that way. They don't have to leave the state of Texas for four straight weeks between uh, between the, the the second week of September and the first week of October. This is a team that's going to, at the very least, by the time they get to Alabama, have their footing, understand their identity, and have five games under their belt, two of which against SEC opponents. You know where they can understand themselves. You know all the way around. You know Isaiah Spill is probably one of the best running backs in the country. So Haynes King is going to have an opportunity to lean on him, especially early on, um, especially in SEC play where they're going to force Haynes King to throw the football. They're going to pack the box with seven and say, beat us, kid. I mean, that's what they're going to do. That's what Arkansas is going to do. That's what Mississippi State is going to do. They're going to fill the box and be like, Isaiah Spiller and Jalen Watermeyer, you guys aren't going to beat us. Everybody else, have a field day if you can get the ball to them. I mean, that's just what the game plan is going to be until Haynes King shows you otherwise. Then they play Alabama. That's going to be a game in which we have to see two of the young quarterbacks in the SEC go at it. That's going to just be a fun game from that narrative perspective alone. But after that, I just don't see where they you know lose too many more games. Maybe at Ole Miss at the end of the year. Maybe LSU's figured it out at the end of the season. Even with those two losses, that's nine. Um, and Texas A&M for me is not one of those teams. I, I mean that that typically just drops a game when they're the favorite. They're also this is one of the easiest schedules Texas A&M has had in like three years. You know, they played a fall SEC schedule last year and then they played Clemson twice the, the two years prior. You know, they, this is, they they're looking at the schedule this year like, wow, no Clemson. <laughs> no, no, no title contender LSU. No, uh, you know, in Alabama with no Florida. Oh, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll take this. We'll absolutely take this. Um, so I, I in think our, that in our
0: projections only Kentucky has an easier schedule. In yeah. the SEC, Kentucky ranks 68th. I believe it's the easiest Power Five schedule, believe it or not. Um, one of one of the top two or three, but then Texas A&M's 51st. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a very very manageable schedule. Absolutely,
3: yeah. It's 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 a complete difference to what they've been having to face the last couple of years, uh, and I think that just bodes well for them. And I think that you know you look at their schedule and you look at the talent that they're bringing on, and and you know a ten win season for them. It is to be expected. Nine wins for me would be, you know, one of those kind of years where it just didn't, it just didn't all click. Maybe Haynes King started off slower, showed some of that, you know, some of that youth in some of the bigger games. But outside of that, really, this is a really talented ball club. And I don't see, you know, if they were to win only eight games this year, that would be a lot. That would be a really, really bad year for them um, with all the talent that they have on display. And especially with, I think, you know, I think I think Isaiah Spiller is going to go pro. I think Meyer goes pro as well. So you're going to be losing some of your more talented guys this offseason. So you need to maximize that talent now and not wait. Uh, I think Kenyon Green might lead, depending on the kind of year that he has as well. So you really need to make sure that you maximize that talent. When you have that that young quarterback as well, similarly to what you know Alabama was able to do with Tua, when you were able to have all that talent around you and a young QB, and you maximize the talent, uh, and you're able to go on and win a national championship. I'm not saying that's going to be what Texas A&M ends up doing, uh, but I would not be surprised if this was a team that on the last Saturday of uh, of the season is hoping for absolute chaos as like the number eight team in the country, and hoping that everybody in front of them just like plummets and loses in all their rivalry games, so they end up in that five or you know that five or uh, that five or six spot. Where they might be able to sneak in depending on what happens on a a conference championship week.
1: All right, let's go over to the last team in the SEC, also the worst ranked team (laughs) in the SEC. And
0: the 130th team that we've previewed. Save the best for last.
1: That's right. 130, it is Vanderbilt. The last for last. We've actually got them a little bit ahead of that, 108, of course, (laughs) overall. Uh, they're always at a talent disadvantage in the SEC. Uh, the, Vandy was more shorthanded than usual in 2020 because of opt-outs and injuries. Uh, remember, uh, you know all, all the stuff they went through. Uh, they finished 0-9. Uh, their DK total is three and a half. We have them at three and nine, favored to win two. Talent edges in three. I'm guessing those are all non-conference. What do we think, Nick, uh, for the Commodores in 2021? Uh, that would be
0: a smart guess, yes. Uh, talent edge is <laughs> against, uh, in week one, FCS opponent, East Tennessee State. Uh, we expect that that uh, the Clark Lee era should begin with a win in that game. They actually also do have a talent edge against Colorado State. That game's going to be a little trickier on the road. And they've got a talent edge against UConn. Uh, that's, you know, uh, in a, a sandwich uh, between Georgia and Florida. So I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing, but uh, they have some winnable games on the schedule for sure. The problem is that, yeah, I mean, this team is going to be at a talent disadvantage far more often than not, especially in SEC play. And they also play Stanford, who's a, a pretty talented team as well. But uh, I thought that the Clark Lee hire was an absolute home run. I, I think that, You know, had he not been a Vanderbilt alum as one of the top defensive coordinators in the country at Notre Dame, a rising star, uh, a a lot of people thought future head coach, obviously, uh, but for Vanderbilt to be able to land him uh, really, really was about as good as they could hope for. And and there might be a little bit of a transition time with any first-time, first-year head coach, but I think he found the perfect fit uh, with a guy who who knows Vanderbilt, uh, loves Vanderbilt, and you know is is maybe talented enough, creative enough, he's an interesting guy. If you've ever heard Clark Lee uh, give like a, a clinic talk or, or interview, even uh, he's he's a little different than your average college football coach. So uh, Vanderbilt, of course, is a little bit different than your average SEC program, and and they've got to be uh, creative, think outside the box to win there and I don't necessarily expect him to win a whole lot immediately, but I'm I'm uh really interested to see what Lee does and I'm optimistic that you know if anybody after James Franklin is is going to figure out how to win at Vanderbilt, they gave themselves the best shot in, in Clark Lee. So uh this year it could be tough, but there are building blocks. Ken Seals got a full year as a starter, as a true freshman last year. Got a lot of experience playing SEC defenses, uh, so I think you can build upon that. He's got his entire uh, starting receiving core back, and Cam Johnson, Chris Pierce, Amir abdur who's you know th- those guys aren't the most highly rated players, but it is uh, a, a unit of strength for the team, and it's at least a, a unit that should be competitive. At tight end, Ben Bresnahan is is somebody who. Uh, I am seeing some things this, uh, you know, I, am not a huge recruiting guy, so I missed this early on, but I've seen some recent things that apparently his just athleticism is, is off the charts. Um, so he's a guy that if he gets an invite to the combine could be, uh, you know, one of those combine darlings, just the way he, uh, grades out in, in a lot of physical ways. So, you know, maybe the new coaching staff will be able to, to get a little bit more out of a player like, uh, Bresnahan. Will Shepard had an amazing spring game. I don't usually put a ton of stock into spring game performances, but Shepard, you know, Shepherd was going up and, and mossing people in the spring game. Uh, so that's something to watch. Mike Wright, backup quarterback, had an excellent spring game. And and is sort of a weird situation, I I, I don't like to say uh, you know, hey, you should move positions. But Mike Wright not only is one of the best 11 players that Vanderbilt has on offense, he's probably one of the top three players that Vanderbilt has on offense. Uh, so I, I would love to see him get involved uh, in, you know whether it be 6'4", an athletic wide receiver maybe uh, you know find ways to get him involved, whether it's in some you know short yardage packages, maybe get, uh, some trick plays where Seals and Ryder are on the field at the same time, double pass type stuff. I, I hope that they'll be creative and, and find ways to get him involved because I really do think he's one of the top, you know, three or four most talented players, maybe on the whole roster. So it, it kind of, you know, stinks for Vanderbilt that two of those guys, because Seals is two. I mean, Seals is, you know, number two, number three, as far as best player uh, on the on the offense but it would, it would be great to find a way to get both of those guys involved. And the running back position, they lost uh, a really interesting and talented player in Keon Henry Brooks, who was their leading rusher and was the starter last year, and a guy who was really, really helpful in the uh, passing game as well. But they replaced him with Ramon Davis, a temp, uh, transfer from Temple, uh, who you know, has, has been a productive running back at the FBS level. Uh, before. The offensive line should be better. They were hit hard by opt-outs last year, only two returning starters, but they actually get uh, some guys who played, you know, significant staffs in previous years back from uh, opting out last year. So uh, that's, you know, something I think to build upon offensively, defensively. Looks like the, you know, that that's an area of concern. Last year, they ranked 123rd in defensive team performance, 126th against the pass at every level. Uh, they've got the 14th ranked unit in the SEC last, you know, last in our talent rankings and at every level. Uh, the defensive line ranks 87th, so that's a little bit of an area of strength. Even though they did lose Dio uh, Adingbo, who was a second round draft pick. Uh, you know, that, that still should be a unit of, of relative strength, but they rank 109th at linebacker and 100th on the dot in the secondary, even though they do return four starters from that unit. So it's it's uh, got to be, I think, a long-term uh, plan at Vanderbilt, obviously. it You know, I think the fortunate thing is it can't be worse than last year. Last year, 0-9. And playing with, you know, 45 guys each week, it seemed like, uh, toward the end, it, it you know, they've already, I think, hit rock bottom. I think the fact that you get um, the non-conference schedule this year and at least two games that they really should win, um, pencil in two wins. That that at least gives you something to build upon. And then they could beat Colorado State. Colorado State wasn't great last year. They could beat South Carolina, who's in a same you know similar coaching situation, uh, the talent edge isn't huge there. Uh, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt knocked off Missouri two years ago, beat them uh, at at home, I believe, where they where they're playing them this year. So it's uh, you know it, it's not completely crazy to think that Vanderbilt could get to four wins.
2: Uh,
0: we actually, if we if we stuck with our uh, win projection, you know, to to where we should round up anything that's over three and a half to four wins, we would technically be on the over, uh, because we, we have 3.82 wins on average, 1.3 in conference play. I'm not ready to go there yet. I, I think that they get the wins against East Tennessee and UConn. And then I think, I think they can, uh, if they don't get Colorado State, I still think they can surprise somebody in SEC play. Whether it's South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know th- those would be big upsets, especially uh, Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee. But it, it, you know, you could see how a, a first-year head coach in some instances does really provide an immediate spark for a program that fell as far as Vanderbilt did last year. I usually don't love it. When we're talking about, uh, you know, Auburn, for instance, who's used to top twenty-five play, uh, that that usually I think a, a step back. But a team like Vanderbilt, where where they're just looking for some hope, some belief, some you know reason to be optimistic, I think you do see a little bit of a spark. And so I think a first-year head coach uh, in that situation is you know probably a positive in the win-loss column. So uh, I, I don't think they get to four wins. I think that's just asking a little bit too much. Uh, but even if they go under and are three and nine, I think that that would be a positive step for Vanderbilt as a program. And I think, uh, that's something that Clark Lee, who is, you know, really a a head coach that maybe Vanderbilt shouldn't have been able to get. So I think that they're going to be able to, you know, uh, hopefully give him what he needs to be successful. sounds like a lot of, uh, you know, facilities and things like that are moving in the right direction because it seems like he wants to be there and wants to, uh, you know, be in for the long haul. So I'm, I'm going to be really interested in, you know, watching Vanderbilt this year and watching that program in a longer you know period because it's, it's always, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of cool when Vanderbilt is, is really competitive because they are so much different than just about everybody else in the league so when they can jump up and and bite a team every once in a while or compete for a bowl game uh which might be still a few years away but that's going to be something that i'm i'm looking forward to seeing and and i'm hopeful that uh they'll move in that direction after after falling so far last
1: year xavier any uh silver lining on the the vandy front for you
3: I think Nick did a great job. I mean, a fabulous job uh, of getting Vanderbilt fans hype about this season. I, I won't be as optimistic. Uh, I think this is a you know a, a, a two yeah, two win ball club this season. I think you know you look at their schedule and yes, I understand that you know they may be able to beat South Carolina. They they may be able to give Stanford you know a good game in Nashville, uh, but I don't expect them to beat Colorado State away at Colorado State. I think they'll be in East Tennessee, and I think they will beat UConn. Uh, outside of that, I think you're pulling that straws to find a way to do that, which Nick did perfectly here. Uh, I, I think, you know, like I said, Nick, Nick's the optimist of this podcast, um, and, and I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic with him. Uh, I like the hire. Don't get me wrong. I think Vanderbilt has a has a brighter future than what they had with Derek Mason at the helm. For me, it's still about, you know, what are they going to do on the recruiting trail? What uh, James Franklin was so good at doing was keeping those Tennessee kids at Vandy, you know, and then Clark Lee's first off season did a really good job. 37th nationally uh, for the recruiting, finished 12th in the sec uh-huh. that, you know, that's, that's two spots. That's, that's, that's solid for them. They finished ahead of Auburn and Ole Miss uh, this past off season. So that's a really good job from them uh, on the recruiting trail. We'll see what they're able to do in 2022 when he has more of an opera, uh, excuse me, when he has more time under his belt uh, to put that all together. Uh, I, so I really, I'm looking forward to what is able to do there. I think he he comes with a pedigree at, from uh, you know his, his previous stops that will add to you know kids wanting to stay and go to uh, Vanderbilt. You know, if he can keep that talent in the state of in, in the state of Tennessee, especially right now with Tennessee on a downward swing, this is the time to do it. You know, Tennessee is not the powerhouse that everybody is expecting it to be right now. Really, I would say the gap between Tennessee, <clears throat> Memphis. And, and Vanderbilt might be the closest it's ever been as far as on the recruiting shows. Obviously, Tennessee brings in, you know, has the more of the money. So they have, you know, a little bit more of the amenities that a kid might want. But from a winning standpoint and from, you know, right now what it looks like on on on, uh, on the field basis. You can't really say all too much about how great Tennessee is compared to a Vandy. And you can't say how good Tennessee is compared to a Memphis because they've been worse than Memphis the last couple of years. Memphis has been to a New Year's Six Bowl more recently than uh, Tennessee and Vandy have. So, you know, with that being the case, I think right now is if you're going to strike in the state of Tennessee and you're going to get those four-star and five-star kids that don't end up going to Georgia, that don't end up going to Florida, that don't end up going to Alabama, this is the time to do it if you're Vanderbilt and and to try to get back to those James Franklin days where they were starting to pull, you know, right before James Franklin left, they were starting to pull kids away from Tennessee and Tennessee fans were terrified. They were ecstatic when he went to Penn State because if James had stayed, the, the SEC East was up for grabs as a whole at that point because Georgia wasn't even that good at that at that juncture and Florida was just was reeling a bit after the Tim Tebow era. So. I think Clark Lee could definitely capitalize on what's happening right now in the state of Tennessee with the, with his rivals on the recruiting trail not being as good. And if he can do so, Vanderbilt has an opportunity here to get back to where they were—at least at the very least—a middling team in the conference, where they, you know, a, a bowl appearance was the standard at the at the very least. And, and every now and then, you beat a Georgia like they did under James Franklin, you know. So. I think that I think there's definitely uh, places to be positive about this and the way it's going. Excuse me, earlier I, I I misspoke. Their 2022 class is currently ranked 37th and 12th in the SEC. Their 2021 class was ranked 49th and 13th in the SEC. My bad, uh, but still that, that that just alludes to what I'm saying. Positives are coming, um, and, and so if they're able to continue this positive. Uh, and bring in more kids and bring in more talent, especially. And, and Vanderbilt's one of those schools that a lot of people go, well, to the academic school. That's why they don't get kids in. That's not necessarily the case.
1: It's a baseball school. It's it's a baseball about school. Sports, yeah. Yeah.
3: And and, and they struggle to bring bowling. in kids because really good at bowling. Why
1: do you know I mean, that? Is that real? I that is,
3: mean, yes, it true. is. Yeah. I mean, come on, Scott. Who are you? I am best bowling. <laughs> yeah.
1: <ever>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Name one other bowling highlight for me, please.
3: I used to watch Norm Duke
1: growing up. Oh, don't Lord. don't test me.
3: Yes, wow. I yes I did. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be a I wanted to be a professional bowler if football I didn't go anywhere. So okay. I mean, Mookie, yeah. uh,
0: Mookie Betts was like a three hundred like several uh, three hundred games, right? Yeah, and uh, it's from is Tennessee. Amazing. So wow,
1: wow. Uh, is is bowling a big thing in Tennessee? Or something? I have no
3: idea. I have no idea. Huh. Maybe. I so, mean, when you're not watching Tennessee football, you've got to be doing something, right? <laughs>
1: I assume you're working.
0: All right, we're off the rails. Let's, yeah, we are. Let's wrap it up after 130
3: teams, huh?
1: Is that it, Xavier? You got anything yeah. else for Vanderbilt?
3: I think we took a turn to the right, and then you're going to have to bring us back left. So
1: I cannot believe that to end this up, Nick had to cattle prod us to, to wrap it up here. <laughs> but that is how it is going to end. We have previewed all 130 teams, all the conferences. They are all done and wrapped in a bow. So, uh, coming out uh, tomorrow after you're listening to this, we will have our first week zero preview as well. So, be sure to check that out. Uh, follow us all on Twitter if you would at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys tomorrow for a week zero preview. So we will see you then. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.